Welcome to the Cinema Men Podcast. I'm your host, John Murphy, and I'm joined by my co-host, Matt Hurdle. Hello, John. Matt, it's been a long road, but we are finally here to RoboCop yeah, 3. We can, we, can see, we can see the end of the franchise just over the horizon. Yeah. If we can There's just only get one movie left. If we can just get over this hump, we will be there. Mm. And it's quite a hump. Uh, indeed it is. That foreshadowing means that today we are going to be taking a look at the 1993 action sci-fi film RoboCop 3, directed by Fred Decker and starring Peter oh, Robert Burke, mm-hmm. <laughs> Remy Ryan and Bruce Locke and Rip Torn yep. and a bunch of other people. A bunch it, of that guys. Yeah, a bunch of character actors. If this is your first time joining us, what we typically do is start off with a review of the film, followed by a scene-by-scene breakdown of the film. We follow that up with our very own awards, the Spice Awards. Finally, Did You Know is a section in which we go through some interesting facts about the movie we found on the internet. This is a spoiler podcast, so if you've never seen the movie and you don't want to be spoiled, pause this episode, go watch the movie, and then come back. Also, stay tuned until the end of the episode. Because we always reveal what movie we will watch next. So you can follow along with us. Uh, Also, before we get started, I want to let you all know where you can get in touch with us. We've been doing that at the end of the episode, but I feel like it's probably better if we do it at the beginning. (laughs) Uh, We want your feedback. So if you have a suggestion or want to give us your take on a movie, feel free to email us at feedback at cinemamenpodcast.com. Or check us out on Twitter at twitter.com slash cinemamenpod. Also, also, if you'd like to support us monetarily and have the means to do so, you can go to anchor.fm slash cinemamenpodcast slash support. You can support us for as little as 99 cents a month, and we all use the money to buy movies and improve the quality of the podcast. So in advance, thank you very much. Now, with all that out of the way... We can start the show. The IMDb plot synopsis for this movie, RoboCop 3, is RoboCop saves the day once more. (laughs) This time, the half-man, half-robot takes on ruthless developers who want to evict some people on their land. Man, just... Right in the first sentence of the synopsis, we're spoiling the ending. <laughs> he, Robocop saves the day. I cannot believe it. <laughs> I would. I would. I mean, I wouldn't have thought that Robocop would save the day. No, I mean, he should have died. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> well, he did. Oh, and then he came. He back. Was brought back <laughs> as a machine, or a man, or. Well, a man machine <laughs> that is a man, but is also a machine. Let's review. Oh, goodness. All right, Matt Hurdle. Mm. Give, give us your review. Grand review of this All film. Right. Here's my grand review of this film. Uh, the movie's bad. It's worse than the second movie was. Uh, the music is unremarkable. The acting is not great, although it's... Not the worst acting I've ever seen. Um, The writing is bad, but uh, I do have some points to give it. Um, It has some fun scenes. Some of the scenes are just really fun to watch. 
Um, and I really feel like the plot was good. Uh, it was un it was unfortunately written poorly, I think. Either that or the dialogue was improvised poorly by bad actors. But I think the root story was really interesting. Uh, so I want to give it points for that. I, I feel like if they had taken this movie and gone maybe another direction with it, but kept the same plot, made it a little more serious and stayed more in line with the previous R-rated titles, that this really could have been a pretty decent movie. Uh, unfortunately, that's not what happened. And what we got was um, this franchise ender of a movie. Yes, a franchise end until the remake, which we will also be doing. Mm-hmm. Um so I believe I, I believe I'm in agreement with you most of the way um, compared to the previous two movies. This movie is just silly. Now, the first two movies mm-hmm. had ridiculous moments and they had silly moments, uh, but they were at least trying to say something. They had messages. Robocop one. The main mm-hmm. message was corporate greed, corporate intervention with the government run police force. Robocop 2 tried to talk about Robocop's humanity. I don't think it succeeded, uh, but it did try to do it. This movie, I don't think has any message. If it does, it is completely mired by the silliness and campiness and whatever. Mm -hmm. I I think this is just a plain old action movie and it happens to have Robocop in it. You know, it felt kind of like Robocop made for TV. You know, right. And I guess that's the move from the hard art of the PG-13. Right. Man, it was so watered down that it was almost not recognizable anymore. Yeah, for sure. And when as we go through this, I think we'll suss out exactly why that happened. Uh, The series continues the trend of having really bad special effects. I would say this one is probably the worst of the three, which is weird because this was released in 1993. After the first two, and you can when you consider that Jurassic Park, the Steven Spielberg movie Jurassic Park came out the very same year, it's almost inexcusable that it's as bad as it is. Man, yeah, really. If you if you think about comparing the two films, of course you got to compare the budget of the two films too. But yikes. yeah, but this is RoboCop. Like we've had. Uh, RoboCop one was arguably a success. RoboCop two was, I think. Didn't do, do too bad. Yeah, I think RoboCop 2 did really well. So and then, of course, after two, we released all the toys, all the cartoons and the kids really jumped on. Yeah. So, so they should have had an infinite budget. But I don't know what I don't know exactly what happened there. Uh, there's a particular mm-hmm. scene here involving a jetpack that is especially bad. And we'll get we'll get to that. This movie also has no Peter Weller. Uh, So it's really, really jarring to see someone else's face and hear someone else's voice come out of Robocop's uh, mouth. Um, Add on to that the fact that the acting or maybe the dialogue like we talked. I don't know if it I don't know if the acting was bad or it was just the dialogue they were given. I thought it was sub subpar across the board that just made for a really bad experience. The plot, Mm -hmm. I don't think I'm going to be as generous as you. I think it's okay, maybe. Um, It got, I think it got muddied by all the silliness that was going on. I mean, you've got Mm -hmm. cyborg, (laughs) cyborg samurai, jetpacks, little kids that can hack into things for no apparent reason, pink Cadillacs. Uh, 
it's hard it's hard to figure out if there's a good pot in here just by all the other stuff that's going on there are a few commercials uh in the movie none are as good as the other two movies the violence was toned down to be pg-13 like we said because it was so pop robocop was so popular with the children i think that was a misstep it should have been a rated r movie so all that that's those are the negatives i think mm-hmm. the movie the the score is better just because it used some of the original score rather than come up with his own stuff the original composer came back and threw in a lot of the uh original score beats so there's fair there's a fair good use of uh robocop score uh also robocop is a lot more human than he was in the other movies yeah they kind of tossed the the humanity robot debate out the window finally in this movie yeah. which was kind of nice to see he was like he was ignoring programming he was demonstrating anger empathy so i mean that that's what we wanted him to transition to in the first movie, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we watched two movies about him getting there, so I'm glad he stayed there for this one at yeah. least. So those are the good things. <laughs> those two things. Uh, overall, I thought this was a really bad movie. Probably should not have been made. It had a few of those high points. Overall, it's a movie that could have been forgotten, and it makes RoboCop 2 look like a masterpiece. And I actually want to, mm-hmm. it makes me want to change my review of Robocop 2. <laughs> a movie so bad that it makes you like another movie better. Uh, you know, the plot, on the plot point that I had, it felt kind of like somebody had a really, really good joke. You know, the kind that you know is just the best joke ever. <laughs> and you heard it a week ago. And you're trying to tell it to somebody now and you don't remember it and you're messing the joke up. That's kind of <laughs> how the plot felt to me. Right. Like it used to be good, but it's been manipulated and changed and messed up to the point where it's just not anymore. But I, what I was trying to say is that I can see where the plot really had the potential to be great. Okay. Like I feel like the themes, the things that were happening, I think that was really cool. It just was really presented poorly. Okay. I can get behind that statement. I think, yeah, I think Frank Miller co-wrote or wrote this one as well. And he actually stopped making Hollywood scripts until like Sin City, which was in the 2000s, because he got angry at the studios always changing his work. Yeah, I heard this one was even more heavily changed than RoboCop 2 was. Right. (laughs) So, understandable. Well, why don't we do our scene-by-scene breakdown? This should be interesting. Prepare yourselves, ladies and gentlemen, for the RoboCop 3 experience. So, the movie opens up on a very familiar scene, and that is the Orion logo. Uh, If you haven't seen the Orion logo... It was essentially the word Orion written in space, and it was dark uh, space with a white logo that says Orion. Uh, I want to mention that because that logo actually transitions us into the movie this time, which is a first. We see this logo and we hear some sinister music and the logo kind of fades away and the camera pans down and it feels very Star Wars for just a second. 
but we pan down into what is one of the worst rendered CGI cities I've ever seen. Um, it it's it's obviously CG. It, it looks cartoonish and just bad. But we fade down and we see this city, which is supposed to be beautiful. And we find out pretty quickly that what we're watching is a commercial for Delta City. Delta City is this utopian city where everybody has a job and everybody's happy and everyone's safe. And we see this little banner that comes across and it says Delta City for our children. And that's our first commercial. Uh, we find out why this is relevant soon. But as soon as this commercial ends, we then flip over to good old media break, which is the news show that we've seen all through all three of the films. And we get our uh, our common little exposition through the news as far as what's going on. Uh, the top story that we get is that the company OCP has recently been purchased or bought out or, you know, uh, engulfed by a bigger corporation from Japan known as the Konamitsu Corporation. Uh, as soon as we hear this story and we, we see that this is happening, we kind of come out of the TV and we join a family who's sitting in their living room watching the news on their TV. And we see a mom, we see a dad and we see a little girl. Uh, the little girl's sitting around and messing on this really neat, almost military looking laptop. And we find out that her name is Nico. She's played by uh, Remy Ryan. And she's messing around with some stuff that looks like it's pretty advanced for the age that she looks like she is. Like she's doing um, what, like like some kind of calculus problems or she's doing some programming, something that looks, you know, like college or professional level stuff. But she's uh, just hammering away at it nonetheless. So we go back into the news and we find out that OCP has created this new division um that kind of parallels the police force and they're calling them their urban real urban rehabilitation force or uh, rehab for short. Uh, these people, they're in charge of essentially relocating people from the site where OCP wants to build Delta city and uh, move them to somewhere else and apparently give them jobs and set them up with new places to live and things like that. according to the news. Um, so the commercial for Delta city is what they want to build on top of the homes of these people that rehab is forcefully evicting and, and moving out. Well, after this happens, uh, it's bedtime for little Nico. So she goes into her room and we see around her room that she has a whole bunch of little Robocop toys. Uh, most importantly, she has like a, an actual Robocop doll and she has a model Ed 209, which is sitting next to some screwdrivers and stuff, kind of hinting that she's put it together as a kit. Um, and so, you know, seeing all this stuff and then seeing the the laptop that she was doing really advanced things on really kind of sets that character up. At this point, you kind of know what you're going to get with her for the rest of the movie. Anyway, she gets in bed and uh, her dad tucks her in and she looks at her dad and is kind of worried. And the dad asks if she's OK. And she basically says that she's worried about, you know, what she saw on the news and that she's afraid people are going to make them move away. The The dad goes to console her and is like, oh, don't worry about what you're seeing on the TV. This is your home and we're perfectly safe here. And as soon as he says that, he looks out the window and a giant wrecking ball is coming right towards his window. Uh, he jumps out of the way and the wrecking ball crashes through the room and just obliterates it. He... Uh, he grabs Nico, he runs into the living room, gets his wife, and they run outside 
to uh, escape this wrecking ball. And as they're leaving, we see on the little coffee table in the living room that there's an eviction notice sitting there. So they had been evicted and didn't leave. Right after this happens, you see this giant blue three show up in the middle of the screen and uh, you're like, what the heck? And then behind it, we see RoboCop. So it's an odd way of presenting the title, but there's the title. So the there's really bad green screen work that you mentioned uh, on the front end to mm-hmm. display Delta City, which I got to give them props. Continuity. Like that, that's what yeah. OCP has been trying to do since RoboCop one is build this utopian city and they've been foiled and, up, up until now. <laughs> I mean, I think I think, too, in defense of that bad CGI, I think that was supposed to be bad CGI. It was, you know, this use our OCP commercial that they were watching on TV. And I think it was intentionally done to look that way. Yeah, maybe so. I guess uh, my preconceived notions of the movie to start to start the movie with a green, really bad green screen was probably not a great idea. <laughs> yeah, because that put it me was, <laughs> it's a little off putting going from this really pretty starscape down to this atrocity of computer graphics. It was kind of odd. Yeah. The the meteor break anchors are back from the first movie. I think it was the same mm-hmm. actors from the first movie. Rip Torn is the. OCP CEO now. So the old man is gone. Rip Torn is mm-hmm. in. <laughs> and for the better? I don't know. It was a Rip Torn is an interesting choice for that role, I thought. Yes. Indeed. Like you're taking what was typically a very cold and cynical role and giving it to, well, Rip Torn. <laughs> you know how that's going to go if you know his Ooh, acting. Uh, yeah. Throughout the movie, giggles and laughs and cracks jokes. It's uh it's a very different setup for uh, good old OCP. Mm-hmm. Uh, crime is still out of control. Surprise. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't we, seem like it's as bad as it was, though. That's true. Uh, it seemed well, and that makes sense. I think the well sort of makes sense. The police officers are no longer on strike. And that was uh, hinted at by the chief later on in the movie. Mm-hmm. And you've got Robocop. Uh, doing what he does. We've got the rehab officers led by Paul McDaggett. Mm-hmm. Great name. Uh, who automatically looks like a bad guy. Like there's, yeah, there's no hint. There's no hiding it. He's, he's going to be a bad guy. And I took issue. With, I, I disagree with the girl. I thought it did sort of set up her genius, but she does stuff later in the movie that she shouldn't have known how to do. So I guess it. Oh yeah, for sure. But I mean, that's what they're, they're setting her up as saying, look, this is a really smart little girl who's into models and Robocop and computers and stuff like that. I felt like they were really kind of just saying, look, she's going to be smart and do computer things in this movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No matter how ridiculous they are. We see the RoboCop action figure and the Ed 209 toy, both of which I wanted immediately after yeah, I saw them. Yeah, especially that Ed 209. That Ed 209 toy was really neat. Yeah, pretty cool. The crane comes in. I, it almost looks like it's coming in slow motion. I'm not sure if it was meant to come in looking like that, but that's what it looked like to me when it came in through the window. <laughs> and, you know, I want to 
I want to talk about that for a second because okay. they knew they were being evicted, right? Mm-hmm. They they had the notice. They knew it was coming, and then like they saw the crane pull up outside their building. They had to. It was right outside of Nico's window. Why were they in there still? Like, did they think they weren't going to swing the wrecking ball because they were still in there when they were supposed to be out? I I don't know. They were really engrossed in that newscast. <laughs> I don't know. Like, like I get I get trying to stay to be stubborn, but when they pull the crane up, I think it's time to leave, especially when that crane is right outside your little daughter's bedroom where you're tucking her in, you know? So the in a happy moment, the I'll buy that for a dollar guy is back on the TV. Yeah, <laughs> we, it's the only time we see him, but he comes back for one more I'll buy that for a dollar line <laughs> as the uh, wrecking ball crashes into the bedroom. Uh, you might as well give us an I'll buy that for a dollar because I want to hear it. I'll buy that for a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. You can move on. That was, that was great. <laughs> All right. I'm glad you enjoyed that. <laughs> so um, we've seen the we've seen the title screen. Robocop three has appeared and the family has fled. We go down into the streets now. Uh, people are running around like crazy all over the place. And we see rehab officers. They're wearing these white uniforms with armor. Uh, they have guns and stuff, and they're herding people onto these buses pretty forcefully. Uh, it's it's real chaotic. People are running all over the place. Uh, we meet this character uh, who comes to be one of our main characters by the name of Bertha. Uh, Bertha is played by CCH Pounder. Uh, she winds up getting in an argument with one of the rehab officers, and that officer then smacks her right in the face with the butt of his gun. Uh, she falls over and winds up crawling over to the crane that was knocking down the house. She then plants a uh, timed explosive on one of the uh, the cranes. Uh, as soon as she does that, she stands up and kind of attacks one of the nearby rehab officers, uh, winds up knocking the guy out, and stealing a megaphone that he had. She then grabs this megaphone and starts shouting out, you know, trying to uh, get people away, saying, get away from the crane. It's going to explode. Get away. And not long after she says that, the crane just blows up into a fiery, massive explosion. Uh, As soon as that's over, she then grabs the megaphone again and stands up and starts trying to lead the people to revolution, uh, saying that they need to fight and that rehab are liars and that they're You can't trust them and they need to all turn and fight and get away from them. While she's doing this, uh, we cut to Nico and her family. Uh, They're all getting loaded up onto one of the buses. While this is happening, Nico and his parents wind up getting kind of forcibly separated. And it's not sure if they like it's not clear if they separate them on purpose or if it's just kind of a crowd surge that cuts them off. But what winds up happening is Nico's parents get on the bus and she doesn't. She gets left behind. Um, the The bus drives off not long after and poor Nico is left all by herself in the streets of Detroit without a home. We we cut and we see her kind of all by herself in the dark. Uh, she, it's a really heartbreaking scene where she's crying out for her mom and her dad and nobody's answering. Uh, She walks to the building that she used to live in and she sees her Robocop doll lying on the ground. Uh, She bends down and picks it up. And about the time she does, a a massive bright light turns on and you see this crazy looking rehab guy wearing goggles. 
And uh, he just shoots a gun in the air just and he yells at Nico to come to him to come here and to freeze. Well, Nico panics and takes off running and the guy takes off chasing her. Uh, Nico runs around a corner and she sees this old van parked by the street, which she runs right past. And as she's running past it, the sliding door opens and a hand reaches out, grabs her arm and yanks her into the van and closes the door. Uh, and we find out that the person who abducted her now is Bertha. Uh, she's in the van and there's a couple of other members um, there. I say members. There's a couple of other people there with her. We don't know that they're members of anything yet. And this is where we're introduced to three other uh, actors. We see Zach, who was played by Stanley Anderson Kuntz, who was played um, by Stephen Root. So some of you may know. And uh, Moreno by Daniel Von Bargen. And I think I think there's only three in there, but there may be some more. I may be leaving somebody out there. Hmm. So that whole that whole sequence wasn't bad. Um, the the moment where the rehab officers smash Bertha in the face, I thought was a little escalating a little too quickly mm-hmm. uh, for no reason. Um, but the the scene from the point where they get off the rehab vans or whatever to the point where Nico is grabbed by the resistance was pretty well done. Uh, yeah. I didn't have much of an issue with any of it, except for just the escalation. And it was a good way to set up Bertha as like the rebel leader. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll give it props for that sequence. That was, it wasn't half bad. Yeah. This scene wasn't that bad at all. I agree. Um, you know, they kind of tie back into the second movie where there are some definite Nazi parallels between OCP and the Nazis. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you've ever seen a Holocaust film, uh, this looks just like one of the scenes where they're raiding the the ghettos or the homes and they're, well, I guess not the ghettos at this point, although maybe, mm-hmm. where they're basically raiding the, the places where people lived and forcing them to come with them, get abducted and be shipped off. It, looked, it was very reminiscent of that. Mm-hmm. And honestly, that made me a little uncomfortable. You know, it, it was very much like that, especially the scene where Nico and her parents are separated they're yeah. crying for each other and the soldiers don't care and the people are panicked. Um, it was really well done. Um, a, a little crazy that, you know, Bertha took a gun butt right to the face and then got up and wasn't bloody and was able to arm a bomb and then beat up a soldier with nobody doing anything and get the <laughs> megaphone. But, you know, it's a it's a RoboCop movie and it's PG-13. <laughs> so we have to, you know, we have to make some <laughs> compromises, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, um, it, it, yeah, and St- Stephen Root is basically in every movie. I guess <laughs> I didn't realize he was in RoboCop three. What he is? Stephen Root? Well, he's Goodness. oh in every movie. I thought you meant he was in the first and second RoboCops. No. Okay, I was like, whoa! How did I miss him in those? I was, okay. be, I was being sarcastic, but he is in a lot I of gotcha. movies. So yeah, we uh, basically leave that scene with uh, Nico in the care of what we find out is a resistance movement uh, fighting against rehab in particular. Uh, We fast forward an indeterminate amount of time and the van is uh, heading out in order to rob a police armory. Um, I say indeterminate. It's probably an hour or two because it's still nighttime and the van is the same and the same people are in the van. They, they drive up to where this armory is and there's a big metal gate 
barring entry to it. So they go up and they set another bomb on the thing uh, back up and the bomb blows up. The, the fence blows away and they all go through the gate. Uh, as soon as they go through the gate, they are immediately greeted by an Ed 209, which uh, activates, focuses on them, uh, informs them that they are trespassing and that they need to drop its guns or it will use lethal force on them. Uh, everybody freezes uh, except for Nico. Uh, Nico runs right up to the robot and goes in between its legs and kneels down. Uh, Ed 209 kind of comically looks at her quizzically and then goes back up to focusing on the people with the guns, um, which was kind of an odd thing, but kind of funny at the same time. So Nico opens up a panel in the leg of Ed 209 and hooks her laptop into it and starts typing. Um, Ed 209 is like, you know, drop your weapons or I will be authorized to use lethal force. And it starts counting down like 10, 9, 8, uh, just like in the first movie. Nico's telling everyone to just stay there and not freak out. And everyone's freaking out anyway because they're about to get blasted by the Ed 209. And uh, it continues to count down five, four, three. And when it gets to uh, zero, it says, I am now authorized to be loyal as a puppy. And Nico grins because she managed to hack 209. <laughs> so now that uh, Ed 209 is not going to blow them all away, the group gets kind of back to task. They approach the door to the armory and pull out this access card that one of them says they took off of a dead police officer. And they take the card and they slide it into the slot. And this little screen above it, instead of saying access granted or whatever, says, you know, bad card detected um, and alarms start going off. Unauthorized entry, whatever. So the police get notified through this alarm system and they're going to be here soon. So they're they're kind of like, well, now what? Uh, we can't get through the door. The card we have doesn't work. What are we going to do? So Nico gets Ed 209 and, and has it go up to the door targeted and just blow the thing up. So she's able to, to use Ed 209 to get through the door. The group then run into the armory, uh, which is just loaded with guns. Um, most of the guns are like shotguns and rifles and assault rifles and things like that. There's nothing too extravagant in there. But they get some carts and they start loading up on guns. And while they're in there, they see what looks like a, a bunch of uh, Robocop parts. Uh, you don't know that, but it's, you know, it's kind of his armor color. And you can see hints of Robocop's design in these pieces. Uh, they kind of pause and they're like, what is this? And one of them says, I don't know, but it looks expensive. Let's get it. And so they, they grab it too, and start making their way out so that they can get away before the cops get there. Uh, unfortunately, about the time they come out, the cops do get there. There's three or four cop cars that pull up and they all the cops get out of their car and point their guns at him. And they're like, freeze. Well, Nico then has Ed 209 just blow the heck out of these cop cars. It just lights them up, um, shoots them all to heck. The cops scatter. And while they're running, Nico and the gang get in their van and they drive off. As soon as they drive off, we get one of our first real hints that this is a PG-13 in that Ed 209 did not actually shoot a single cop. All that he did was shoot the cars. The cops are all OK and they start shooting at the van as it speeds away. Mm -hmm. So that sequence was fine, I guess, except if they hadn't found the girl, they wouldn't have been able to get into that police station. 
Oh, yeah, she did, not at all. She did every single thing. She hacked Ed 209, she busted through the wall, and then she used Ed 209 to attack the police officers. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I was like, man, she's vicious. Like, she didn't know that Ed 209 wouldn't kill those police officers. So mm-hmm. she was okay with uh, firing on those police officers, which was, I was like, man, she's vicious. Yeah, I was I was absolutely shocked when I started watching this movie. I didn't realize that it was PG-13. And so when those cops came back and started shooting, I was just like, wait, what? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense at all. But uh, I found out why a little bit later. Yeah. Uh, she makes Ed 209 say eat lead suckers mm-hmm. as well as uh, be as loyal as a puppy, which I thought was hilarious. And, you know, I, I have to wonder, like. They broke into this armory and they stole a bunch of rifles and shotguns, right? They had a working Ed 209. <laughs> Why the heck didn't they take it? Because they just Matt. left it. <laughs> because. <laughs> like, I would shoot. If I'm in that resistance, I'm like, oh, my gosh, you can you've got this robot. Like, forget the armory. We're taking this home. Yeah. You know, they- they took the and I when I saw it I couldn't tell what it was I just assumed it was a piece of RoboCop's armor but the thing that they said was expensive they took that mm-hmm. but they left the Ed two hundred nine it made no uh, sense. I thought that was crazy I don't know why they didn't take it maybe they didn't maybe it was not very fast on foot I I don't know but I was uh, really surprised that they just left it I also didn't understand like. Yeah, they are they're residents of a section of Detroit. What was it called? Carriage Hills or Cadillac something? Heights. Cadillac Heights. Wow. Mm-hmm. Carriage Hills. <laughs> Cadillac well, Heights. Know, close. Yeah. <laughs> Swanson. I was way off. Or Samsonite. Samsonite. I was way off. Um Cadillac Heights. They're just residents. They surely they know OCP is what's behind this, not the actual Detroit Police Department. But yet they are still willing to break into these police departments and steal their guns and fire on cops. It just, it didn't, yeah, I didn't I mean, understand they that They know part. OCP runs the cops, right? So I suspect that public image of the cops is not strong at this point. Hmm. So they think that but the cops I see what are you're behind, saying. The cops are being paid off. They're, they're dirty is basically what. Well, no, the, I mean, the OCP owns the cops. Right. And they know OCP also does rehab. And so they figure the cops are as dirty as rehab is. That's my guess. Okay. Yeah, that's kind of what I figured out. But even if that's not the case, um, I mean, it was a it was a situation where they were going to be arrested and they had to get out. So Mm -hmm. that that may have been their motivation for shooting at the cops. I don't. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah. Just a question I had. Continue, sir. Um, one other thing I oh, wanted to okay. mention about this scene is just that when Ed 209 yells at them to drop their weapons, none of them do. <laughs> they they don't run. They don't put their guns down. They just stare at Ed 209 while he counts down. Right. And I was like, if that was me, my gun, either my gun's going down or I'm getting the heck out. Right. right. Like, I'm not just going to stand there and wait for it to count down to zero and then shoot me. <laughs> so that that was an odd decision by the group, I thought. Yeah. These these uh, rebels that were supposedly had a plan. I I assume they had a plan when they were headed to this uh, station 
I mean, they had some kind of a plan. They had the bomb for the gate, and they had the card that was supposedly would let them in. Mm-hmm. They just didn't plan for the Ed 209. But you think they'd scout the place out and see it, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> so, moving, moving on. Uh, the camera cuts, and we're inside of a diner, and we see this shifty-looking dude wearing a uh, kind of neat-looking red trench coat. Uh, he goes inside the diner and he goes up to the guy who's running it, who was played by good old Jeff Garland. Uh, he pulls the gun on Jeff and demands that Jeff gives him his money. Jeff just kind of looks at him like he's an idiot and the camera pans over and we see that the diner is absolutely filled with cops. Like the, there's like 40 cops in this place. They all pull out their guns and point it at him. And uh, this guy's feeling rather foolish. Well, while they're uh, dealing with him, a call comes across the radio and uh, it's saying that an armed robbery just happened and it's asking for people to get to the scene and, and try to catch the van that's running away. This robbery obviously is the armory robbery that just happened. Uh, they have a little bit of banter trying to figure out whose turn it is to take the call. And uh, after a little bit, they all decide that it's Lewis's turn. So the camera zooms in into the corner where we see a cop who's reading a newspaper and keeping their head completely out of vision. And after a moment, the, the newspaper kind of dramatically drops and we see Lewis, good old Nancy Allen, playing Lewis yet again, uh, agreeing to take the call. Uh, she gets up and starts to leave and another cop asks her where RoboCop is and uh, she quips that he's not big on donuts. <laughs> and so... Uh, she goes outside and as she's going outside, the van that they're looking for just races by conveniently right by the uh, the diner that they're in. So Lewis jumps in her car and a couple of other cops jump in their car and they take off chasing the van. Um, this chase scene is actually pretty good. It's probably the best car chase scene in the whole movie. Uh, the resistance, you know, they're they're doing really well, considering that they're in this old beat up van. The cops are doing their best to stay behind them. And one of the resistance members pulls out his trump card, which is this little remote control thing that he's got in his hand. He pushes a few buttons and all of the traffic lights turn green, which causes everybody to go at the same time, which makes a big kind of pile up uh, and crashes the cops. So the van gets away, uh, kind of gets away because they uh, they don't get far ahead when one single cop car pulls out and starts chasing them. Uh, no matter what they do, they can't seem to get rid of it. And uh, the camera goes to Nico and Nico kind of looks up hopefully and, and wonders out loud if it might be him. <laughs> uh, we cut to the car and we get a kind of neat shot of a very zoomed in look of Robocop's visor. Confirming to the audience that it is indeed Robocop chasing them. So... Right after this happens, and this happens a lot in this movie, uh, the, we cut again and go back to the cops where they had crashed. Um, I, I want to go ahead and drop this in now. This movie cuts between scenes like this a whole lot, so it's going to be a little hard to cover, but we're going to do our best with it. Uh, back at the cop cars, uh, they've crashed. Um, they're out of commission. There's one civilian that got caught up in the crash, and he's yelling at Lewis, calling her a bunch of sexist names. And uh, there's a throwback to the first movie where he said that he traded in a brand new SUX for the car that he had. And uh, he's, he's really mad. So the cops, they're looking around and they, they see a graffiti tag 
on, uh, I think it's a light post or a power line pole or something. And instantly everybody gets very seriously or gets very serious. Apparently they crashed in the home turf of a pretty notorious gang in that area that's known as the splatter punks. So the cops, they all pull out their guns and they radio in for backup immediately. And uh, not long after this, the sexist guy, uh, he gets sniped, essentially. He just gets shot right through the chest and dies. Uh, everything's real dark and you can't see any people, but you start hearing some really creepy laughs. Uh, and all of a sudden, these Molotov cocktails start going off all around the cops. Just, you know, you hear a glass break and then a <laughs> and they're just all over the place. So we cut back to the van chase. Uh, Robocop is uh, chasing the van and he gets the message over the radio that the officers are in trouble and need backup. OCP dispatch essentially command him to keep chasing that van. But he refuses because there's cops in trouble and he needs to help them. And so he he winds up getting angry and smashing the radio after they command him to keep following the van. And then he turns around, which the people in the van see him leave and they're like, yay, and they're happy and they get away. So we go back to the cops again now. Um, the cops are pinned down and uh, they're doing their best to just kind of spray fire, but they can't see anybody. And there's all these Molotov cocktails going off all over the place. And uh, after a minute, they run out of ammunition. The, the guns start click, 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 click. And when this happens, the gang members start to slowly kind of slink out of the shadows and start walking towards the cops. And we see that they're very, very heavily styled punk looking characters with a creepy vibe to them. They actually look kind of neat. Uh, they start pulling out axes and, and knives. One of them has like these hand blade claw thing that they unfold. Um, and one of them has nunchucks, but they start slowly walking up towards the cops. We cut again to Robocop, who's driving up the spiral ramp in a parking garage. He drives up to the very top and he stops and he takes off one of his arms and he puts an attachment on in place of his hand. Uh, he then gets in the car or he's already in the car. He, he starts the car and drives and breaks through the barrier on top of the parking garage and lands right next to the cop cars in the street. As soon as he lands, he shoots a hole in the top of his cop car, punches through the hole, stands up, uh, looks at the cops, and he said, um, "You no loitering. He says, no loitering. <laughs> and uh, then he just starts unloading on all the, the gang members. Of course, they they all run away. They're, they're frightened and they run. And uh, after they run, he looks down at Lewis and he says, you called for backup? Uh, Lewis asks, you know, says they might still be around. We need to be careful. And Robocop looks around and he says, uh, I think there's th I'm picking up three. There's still three around. Well, as soon as he says that uh, you hear a gunshot and uh, Robocop reaches out and grabs a bullet out of thin air that was headed right for Murphy's head. Uh, as soon as he grabs the bullet, he turns and you hear, you hear him shoot. And uh, then he goes, make that two. <laughs> So after cut it, catching the bullet out of thin air and gunning down the uh, one of the three remaining punks, uh, we cut to the two that are left and they're they're figuring out what they're going to do. And they're like, well, just shoot him in the mouth. Well, uh, Murphy walks up on them while they're planning and they come out and they throw two uh, unlit Molotov cocktails on him, which douse him with gas. And then they pull out a flare gun and they shoot him, which causes him to just go up in flames. 
Uh, RoboCop is not phased by the flames. The punks see this and they take off running. Uh, RoboCop follows them into a store. Uh, he crashes through the window, sets off the sprinklers, which put out his fire. Uh, he tells them, nice try, creeps. And then they arrest them. Woo! That was a bit of a sequence. A lot of back and forth. Uh, There's a lot of that, so I apologize in advance. It, it's going to be a little hard to follow and also to, to go through. Yeah, I have a lot. So the guy that, going back, the guy that tried to stick up the donut shop yeah, should have known the stereotypes that cops like donuts. And the name of the Well, you think he would have noticed the... <laughs> yeah, all yeah, the cops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, did they just walk on foot to the donut shop? That's what I was saying. You think he'd see all the cars because yeah. they got in their cars to chase the van. Yeah. And the place is called Duncan Dine. Like, <laughs> come on, dude. Uh, Lewis is back. That was a decent car, sh- car chase. I I'd had no issue with that car chase. It was a weird reveal of Lewis, I thought. Like, mm. why was she over in the corner reading a newspaper held up so she couldn't see anything? Uh, it was weird. Yeah, it's one of those, like, you don't reveal your main character too early, but you want to give him a big, a nice entrance. <laughs> right. So that, that it's was her newspaper we see in the whole movie, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Robocop shows up. We see the guy that uh, got hit, rammed by the, by Lewis, I think. And he says, I just traded in my, a brand new SUX for this classic. And it was a classic. Mm-hmm. It was a very nice car. I like the idea of the splatter punks. I like their name. I've never had an issue with the world building or the design of any of the RoboCop movies. I think they, they've always mm-hmm. been good. And this one's no exception. I I thought the splatter punks were really cool. Mm-hmm. I, I liked the way they were kind of their aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Um, but I felt like the name was super lame. Like the splatter punks, really. <laughs> I don't know. That sounded that I didn't like that. But I thought that they themselves looked pretty awesome. Yeah. We see RoboCop actually do something against orders, like mm-hmm. do something based on emotion, which is his uh, friendship with Lewis. He punches out that console when he see hears that Lewis is in trouble and turns around. RoboCop needs a directive to try to take care of city property. I think. <laughs> yeah, add, I mean, he, they didn't add that directive. He, he, <laughs> he punches his radio, breaks it. Busts through a parking garage, wrecks the car, shoots through the top of it, busts out of it, and then just starts unloading in the middle of the street. I was like, my gosh, RoboCop, like, can't you just pull up and start shooting? Like, yeah, there's no need to wreck your car. <laughs> Again, we're, we're trying to give our character a really good entrance. And I want to talk about that set of scenes also. So did you notice that when he was going up the parking garage, he was it would focus on it was three different uh, signs and each of the three he disobeyed. No, I didn't so say that. One of them was right turn only. And so he turned left onto a right turn only. He went down a one way street and then there was a yield sign and he didn't yield. <laughs> so my gosh, the cops <laughs> going rogue. It, Maybe that's a little foreshadowing. It was both. It, it reminded me like a similar scene that we will talk about in a little bit of like a naked gun moment, mm-hmm. but it was also kind of cool, I guess. I don't know. And then instead of getting out of the car, 
he machine guns the top of it just so he could bust out of the top of it. Yeah, that was and weird. I don't know what that was all about. Yeah, just to make an entrance. Let's waste bullets and time. Yeah. <laughs> also, if you notice when he when the car jumps like through the barrier off the top of the parking garage, like the angle of it is what it <laughs> would be. You know, like the the heavy engine drags yeah. the front of the car down and it starts to go down in a nosedive. But whenever he actually lands, he is completely <laughs> flat and just just bounces on the concrete. Yeah. I'm like, uh, <laughs> I think maybe that was two, uh, two different shots put together there. That was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> Physics did not work in that. Uh, Murphy says, or Lewis says, thanks for dropping by after he lands. Mm-hmm. He can catch bullets now? Uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, he just straight caught a bullet like this clunky robot who's only ever moved with is fast enough to catch a bullet out of thin air apparently yeah but which uh, doesn't help him later in the movie when he's fighting yeah. samurai otomo i was about to we'll say to that. i think that was a one-use thing like he can't do that yeah. anymore <laughs> he can't ever move that fast again yeah that was that was silly i they shouldn't have done that they should have just had the one of the other cops get hit or have it you know, hit the car nearby or something mm-hmm. that would have been less silly. RoboCop is definitely more quippy in this one, which it mm-hmm. is good, I guess, for as silly as the movie is. It at least adds some some funny moments. <clears throat> and uh, the Splatterpunk guys start attacking and they set him on fire. And the whole time I was like, based on the last movie, fire does not hurt him. Mm-hmm. And explosions which don't didn't. hurt him. And they didn't. So, although I have to say that was a really, really neat stunt, mm. uh, probably my favorite stunt in the whole movie. Like that, that RoboCop suit was on fire for a fair good amount of screen time, mm-hmm. and you know he's just calmly walking <laughs> and he's flaming. It, it was a really good stunt. Well done on that one. He walks through that candy glass window, <laughs> mm-hmm. like <laughs> uh, very good. Okay, I think that's all I had for that sequence. All right. So Murphy comes out of the store. Uh, he's he looks like a cartoon character that just uh, got blown up. He he's got black marks all over him, but he's not like burnt. There's just black all over him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lewis asks if he's okay. He says he is, and they both get in Lewis's car and take off driving. Uh, as they're going back to the police station, they drive past a group of rehab officers in their vans that are evacuating a neighborhood. And you can see that Robocop feels pretty conflicted about the fact that this is happening. Uh, he doesn't do anything about it, but he's he doesn't like that they're doing it. Uh, while they're driving, um, a little kid runs out in front of them and they have to hit the brakes. Well, as fate would have it, that little kid is Nico. Um, Murphy sees Nico and for some reason decides to start recording. Uh, I think maybe Nico reminded him of his son or something. I don't know. But he starts recording Nico. Uh, Nico runs into a nearby church. Uh, he sees Nico go in and then he looks up at the crucifix on top of the church for a really long time. I thought like he Mm -hmm. spends like five, six seconds looking at this cross. Mm -hmm. But anyway, then we cut to OCP headquarters and in OCP headquarters, the CEO Rip Torn, uh, is being, uh, berated by the CEO of their new owner, uh, Mr. Kanemitsu. Kanemitsu? Kanemitsu. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, he's yelling at the CEO because the Delta City project is running behind schedule. And uh, he basically tells him that he's going to send a special agent over there to help him get back on track. So the call ends and we meet uh, Rip Torn proper this time. Um, Rip Torn's character is actually billed as the CEO. Uh, so kind of like the old man, he doesn't really have a name. They just call him the CEO. And he starts talking to his staff. He says that, you know, OCP is in the middle of this transition. Things really aren't going too well. He's mad because Detroit is becoming a war zone because of this rehab thing. And he's looking for any ideas he can find to get everything back on track. Uh, he turns to a guy named Fleck, who's the head of like the security division, which basically means Fleck is in charge of the police force. And he tells Fleck that he wants Robocop to be put on rehab. Um, Paul McDaggett, who's played by John Castle, uh, we meet him proper too. He's in the room. And he, he speaks up when this happens and says that he doesn't want a robot on his team. Uh, the CEO then looks at him and it's like, hey, the clock's ticking. You've only got a few days left. Um, if we don't get everyone out of this construction site, we're going to default on our loans and we'll be under. So um, Fleck decides, you know, that he's going to try to convince the police to let RoboCop join rehab. So we cut then. Uh, quickly to Japan, where we're now in the headquarters of Kanemitsu, and we see Mr. Kanemitsu preparing to deploy the special agent, and we find out that this special agent's name is Otomo. Uh, we, some of the board there are really uncomfortable with the fact that they're going to deploy Otomo to America, but Kanemitsu is uh, sure in his iron will and decides that it's going to happen. Uh, he goes into this room, and we see a, a pretty buff shirtless guy uh, wearing sunglasses and, and meditating. And it's a really fancy, like, circular room. He's sitting on, like, a, a zen pad surrounded by, like, water and sand and rocks. And it's very pretty. But um, we find out, you know, that this is Otomo. And this is who's going to be deployed to America. Uh, whenever, so whenever the CEO is being uh, berated by Kanemitsu, he says, incompetent Americans, you're fat and lazy. Well, that was a yeah, a he kind of rips into us <laughs> and which, which I mean, fair points, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it was it was good. Uh, Johnson is back. So he's he's one of the regulars. He's been in all three movies. He is the uh, African-American um, vice president now. Of, yeah, he gets of promoted OCP. to vice president in this movie. I feel like well, he was prior to this movie. He was promoted to vice president. Yeah, he's the most cunning of all of them. Like for him to be around and still be alive and still be high up like he had. He had to be the cunning, most cunning of them, of them all there. Uh, there's a yeah, he, he's definitely ahead. one of the more endearing of the board members, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a moment where someone mentioned something about a threat and Rip Torn says, I'd consider a deficit of three hundred million dollars a significant threat. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, they're still trying to make another RoboCop, so they can't seem to get over that. So they're they're still trying. And then we see Otomo or Otomo, and he, I, I, they don't reveal right away that he's a cyborg. Um, 
So we're not sure. I feel like it's pretty obvious, but yeah, they they don't yeah. feel it. I, I even put on my notes like samurai robot right there. So I knew I knew he was mm-hmm. a robot, but they do not actually reveal that until later. And uh, I I did a little quick translation, and Otomo translates to companion or attendant in hmm. in English. So that makes sense. All right, so. We then cut back to the Detroit Police Department and we get the same scene that we've had in the prior two movies of the, the place just being crazy. Uh, people are all over the place. Cops are overwhelmed. People are complaining and it's a circus in there. While this is going on, uh, Fleck shows up and uh, he just walks right up to Robocop or Murphy, who's in his chair in his kind of lab in the back. And he's getting packed, uh, patched up by Dr. Marie Lazarus, who is played by Jill Hennessy and is one of our main characters from about midpoint forward. Uh, Fleck is really mad that Robocop didn't obey the order to keep chasing the van. Uh, He's like, you know, Murphy's a machine. He's property. He should do exactly what we tell him to and nothing else. Lazarus tries to explain to him that, uh, you know, part of Murphy's humanity is still in there and that he made a judgment call using his the human side of him to ignore the order to follow the van and go help the officers in need. Uh, Fleck thinks this is um, uh, just not acceptable. It's unacceptable. That's the word I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. And uh, he says they need to destroy that part of him, even if it means just completely wiping out his memories and making him 100 percent machine. Uh, one of the other guys that's in the lab, he comes up and it's like, hey, we could do that with this uh, micro neural barrier. And he just pulls this thing out of his pocket. So I guess <laughs> this guy was just walking around with one of these, you know, on him. He uh, he shows it to Fleck and then Fleck tosses it to Dr. Lazarus and orders her to install the chip. She agrees that she'll do it, but it's obvious that she doesn't want to do it. Immediately after this, we cut to a police briefing and we see our beloved uh, sergeant. Uh, who is played once again by Robert DeQuay. And he's talking about how the resistance are a group of just homeless people that are all terrorists and they're all terrible and they need to arrest them. And he's talking about some of their known hideouts and where they are and telling the cops to be on the lookout for them. Uh, We see one of the other cops look over to Lewis and say, Hey, did you hear what they did to Murphy? And they're like, he, he kind of screws with his head and he's like, they did, they did a number on him. Well, RoboCop comes into the meeting. Uh, He doesn't say a word. He just kind of very coldly walks in, uh, stands in the middle of the briefing floor and looks at the video. And while looking at the video, he notices the church that they saw Nico run into come across the screen as one of the potential places that the resistance is hiding out. Uh, As soon as he says that, he just turns around and leaves without a word. Uh, Lewis gets up and chases after him, uh, tries to stop him and talk to him, but he completely ignores her and just goes straight to the police record computer database thing and starts searching through all of the suspected terrorist group members, um, kind of downloading them into his memory. Uh, Once he's done with that, still not saying a word, he goes and he gets into his car with Lewis running right behind him. Uh, Lewis climbs into the car with him as he gets in the car. And as she's doing so, another cop looks at her and says, hey, you want some body armor? And she goes, no, I'm, I'm not on duty uh, with a little foreshadowing there. Uh, once they both get in the car and the doors are closed, Robocop looks over at uh, at uh, sorry, Lewis and says, hey, I'm I'm fine. Don't worry about it. 
we see a quick cut then back to the lab and we see Dr. Lazarus, who's got that neural chip in her hand and she puts it down on the table and bashes it with a hammer to break it. So then we go back to the car. Murphy and Lewis, uh, they drive to the church where they saw Nico and they go inside. Inside the church, they find a bunch of people there hiding and they're all just kind of, you know, crouched down in the darkness around the pews trying to hide. And the Robocop pulls out a gun. He recognizes some of them from the list. And as he's um, getting ready to deal with these people, however, he's going to deal with them. We hear a voice from outside saying everybody needs to come out with their hands up. Uh, It turns out rehab is here and they're raiding the church at the exact same moment that they're there. So Murphy and Lewis, they come out the door. They go to the steps of the church and they see all of rehab there, McDaggett included. They've got their guns out and, uh, Murphy starts having a little bit of an internal conflict and we find out that he's got four internal directives right now. Uh, We've got the original three, which is uphold the public trust, protect the innocent and obey the law. And then there's a fourth one that says do not oppose OCP officers. And he's looking back and forth between the rehab officers and the people hiding in the church and trying to decide what to do. Uh, He makes another judgment call at this point and he decides that he's going to stand against rehab because he doesn't agree what they're doing and they're attacking innocent people. So Lewis joins him on this and basically says, look, you're going to have to gun us down if you want to get to these people. So McDaggett, he he looks at him, pulls out a gun and says, I don't have a problem with that. And then just unloads into Lewis, blowing her away. Mm -hmm. Uh, As soon as he does this, a big firefight happens. Um, Robocop's shooting, rehab shooting. Uh, Lewis is laying on the ground. And uh, after a while, McDaggett pulls out this explosive bullet. And shoots Robocop in the chest with it, which just blows him backwards. Um, he's hurt. Uh, when this happens, the resistance, they start breaking out windows in the church and throwing grass, gas grenades down at rehab. So that forces rehab to kind of pull back. And while they do, Robocop gets up, grabs Lewis and goes in the church and they shut the door. Uh, Murphy takes Lewis's body up to the front of the church and he lays her down there kind of in front of the altar. Uh, It's obvious that she's dying and she looks up at Murphy and says, promise you'll get them for me. Uh, Murphy says, I promise. And then Lewis dies. Uh, When when Lewis dies, Murphy kind of looks up and says, officer down. (laughs) So uh, now that Lewis is gone, the people in the church, they're like, we got to get out of here. And they open up this secret passage and um, they ask Robocop to come with them and he, he thinks about it for a minute and then he's like, I'm going. And so effectively at this point, Robocop joins the resistance and is rebelling against the city and OCP. Yeah. And a twist. So going back to the police station, this is a very small thing, but there's a guy that's being arrested or I think there's a lawyer and a guy. And this dude has the biggest lollipop I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the lollipop? Yeah, it's a it's a large black man wearing like a curly blonde wig and a green dress. And uh, he's got a giant lollipop in his hand and uh, he's walking around while the lawyer is yelling, I think, at the sergeant. Yeah. It had no bearing on the story whatsoever, but I just thought it was funny. Yeah, it was odd. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that's just kind of the they like to they like to throw that chaos in on that mandatory now police scene yes where you know everybody's overrun and the people are crazy and yelling at the cops they they like to throw some crazy in there and i think that's what they were trying to do Mm -hmm. 
Uh, Lazarus says to uh, Fleck, how can you combine human and machine and complain when the human part makes a decision? I thought that was a pretty, yeah. pretty notable quote. Uh, yeah, Lazarus is a very likable character. <laughs> I mean, they, they pretty much established that from her first scene. Yeah, I like that her last name is Lazarus, too. Um, So I've meant, I've meant to mention this for the last few scenes, but there are a lot. And we mentioned this in the review, but there are a lot of character actors. Uh, Fleck is. Uh, Bradley Whitford yeah. played Fleck. He was the guy in, in Billy Madison, the the guy that wanted to take over Adam Sandler's dad's company. And he's been in a bunch of other stuff, Cabin in the Woods, etc. And then you've got uh, Stephen Root and Rip Torn and the regulars from the other RoboCop movies, CCH Pounder. I mean, it, it was littered, Jeff Garland. It was littered with with mm-hmm. well, well-known actors. Maybe not at the time, but eventually. Yeah, it really was. It's interesting. And that's when, when we first started the podcast, I said, this is a that guy film. Mm-hmm. It's because so many of the actors are, you know, you'll watch in the movie and you're like, oh, it's that guy from that show. Like, you know, them on site, but you can't really place who they are or what they're in in a lot of cases. Yeah. Yeah. This movie is littered with with actors like that. So, the, yeah, the guy, this, the the uh, scientist just happened to have a, oh, you want a micro neuro barrier. You're just going to we're going to slap that on him. I thought, yeah, one of these will do the <laughs> trick. And he just pulls it out of his pocket. Like, why are you carrying that thing around, man? Yeah. I'm worried about this guy. Like, what has he been planning? So if you recall from the end of the last movie, Robocop had no objectives. He was objective less. Mm-hmm. He electrocuted himself so that he could be reprogrammed without all those hundreds of objectives that they put in his head. And I, I, it can be explained away. Of course, OCP still owns the police department. They can add those objectives back in. But I just thought, like, we always we're having this back and forth with the objectives, like, just leave them out. But I guess that wouldn't have it wouldn't have lended itself to the story, maybe. Yeah, I mean, if he didn't have that objective of not interfering with an OCP officer, then he could have just blown away McDaggett right there. Yeah, that had been the end of the movie. Right. That actually would have been a cool scene. Like, you mm-hmm. think McDaggett's this big, bad dude, and he ends up getting taken out a third of the way through the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Lewis dies. I, I think we both probably thought she was dead once she got hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just seemed that way. And, um, yeah, RoboCop is now, he's no longer, he's decided to join the Rebel Force. He is now gone rogue. Yep. <clears throat> Headed into the sewers. uh, I was really honestly pretty surprised that they killed off Lewis that quick. Mm -hmm. You know, they took the time to do the big reveal of her when she dropped the newspaper and then she just kind of dies. She doesn't really do much after that. Yeah. Yeah. She was not well used in this movie. And the, the, the grenade launcher that hit his chest. I'll have more to say about that later, but. Yeah, we've seen a lot worse hit RoboCop and he'd be fine. But for some reason, this one knocked him over and almost killed him. Once again, the, shot. just like the second movie, the the logic behind what it, what he's capable of handling as far as damage is 
up in the air. It just it kind of just depends on what we need him to yeah. be able to handle or not, depending on the story. Whatever fits the situation <laughs> at the time. There's no real set of rules there. Yeah. You know? <laughs> All right. So we uh, we have a quick cut then and we see Robocop in the I guess the resistance. I'm going to call them the resistance from this point forward. They don't really have a name, but they're going into the sewers. And uh, they're climbing down a ladder. And as they go down, we see like two or three rats squeaking around in the in the water. Nico sees one and she's kind of scared. And she asks Murphy, are there any rats down there? And uh, we get a little bit of comedy as we go into his visor and we see Predator Vision. And there's just like hundreds and hundreds like the whole the whole sewer is crawling with rats. And uh, he looks at Nico and he's like, there's one or two. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they get down. And uh, as soon as they get down and in the sewers, we make a quick cut over to McDiagot and Rehab and they have Robocop's tracking device and they are like, oh, he went underground. We don't know why or how he got that tracking device, but he's got it and he knows where they are. So they're going through the sewer and Robocop's hurting. He's at like 25 percent capacity and he's not doing so well. And he winds up just collapsing and falling face down into the sewers. Uh, somehow only three of the resistance people managed to pick him up without any issue and carry him a ways to the hideout that they're going to, which we can talk about when we discuss it, because I have issues with that. <laughs> uh, Nico walks over to Robocop and opens up his arm like a pro and just takes out the tracking device, which is apparently just sitting in a, par- in a compartment in his arm like it's a glove box or something. And uh, she takes it and goes out into the sewers and throws it under a manhole that apparently she knows is booby trapped. (laughs) Uh, We cut to rehab and they're like, let's get them. And so they go to the manhole and they open it up. And as soon as they do, it blows up. Uh, It's close enough to the hideout that they're in that it rumbles and shakes their hideout. So the the group are like, they're getting too close. We've got to move out. And everyone seems to agree, except for Koontz, who is... um, pretty upset he, he's shaking he's like they're too close they're gonna find us they're right here and why on earth do we have robocop with us he's one of them he's gonna get us uh what are we doing and you know they they yell at him to calm down and to stop being so paranoid and to relax but you know i'm gonna be honest i'm kind of with coons here if, mm-hmm. if i'm them i'd be super nervous too about just saying robocop you're with us now yeah the i think you had probably the same issue i have robocop his uh, battery level or whatever his performance level goes down to like 23% and he he eats it he hits the floor mm-hmm. and so you've got I think three adults and Nico and Nico's mm-hmm. holding up one of his legs on her own and then yeah. the other and three in the second movie we had a lot, a lot like I don't know like probably seven or eight full grown men and they were struggling. They're like, this guy's so heavy. And now like three people are just like no problem carrying him through the sewers. Yeah. That was very silly. Uh, And she knows exactly where that tracking beacon is. She didn't even like, she looked, she thought about it for a moment and then she was like, Oh, here it is. Take it out. And, uh, Yeah, which I mean, they try to explain that with the fact that she was obsessed with RoboCop. But even so, like to think that RoboCop's tracking device is just like clipped in in a compartment that you don't even need a screwdriver to get off of is a little ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And it would be 
it's presumed that she she got this knowledge about Robocop from those toys. Like, mm-hmm. and so it's common knowledge that he has a that's where his tracking device is. Yeah, I don't I don't know. They don't really <laughs> explain. I mean, she's Nico, right? She can do whatever she wants as long as it has to do with computers or technology or something. Yeah, exactly. OK, that was it, because I think we were transitioning back to OCP at this point. Yeah. All right. So. Uh, right after this happens, uh, we cut over to Dr. Lazarus's house. She's sitting at home and her phone rings. She answers it and it's Fleck on the phone. He tells her that uh, she's going to be fired and she's going to be lucky if they don't you know, bring her up on charges. She's like, what are you talking about? And he goes, turn on the news. And so he turns on the news. She turns the news on. And uh, the two news anchors are there and they're saying that Robocop has turned on the police officers in the city and joined the terrorist group of homeless terrorists. And uh, they also say that he gunned down Lewis. So they're blaming the murder of Lewis on Robocop. We cut to uh, OCP then the very next day and we find out that things aren't going so well. Um, the CEO, Rip Torn, he's kind of cracking up Um and there's a guy and uh, we see a guy that's sitting in an office and he's he's talking on a video phone to his wife who's, you know, saying it's OK, honey, this happens to every major corporation. It's just a part of business. This is how it goes. It's not as bad as you're saying. And while she's talking, the guy walks up to an open window and just throws himself out of it in a kind of depressing scene. The uh, the body starts falling. And as it's falling, we see a black limo pull up and who gets out of the limo but Otomo. Uh, He gets out and starts kind of walking towards OCP office and we cut back to inside the office where we see some employees talking about the fact that that suicide that had just happened was the fourth one that's happened this month. Uh, So morale is low at OCP. We then cut up to the boardroom and uh, we see the CEO talking to Otomo. So Otomo's made it up to the, the room and they're talking. And he's telling Otomo that there's a warrant out for the arrest of Robocop and uh, that he's considered a criminal now. Otomo just kind of leaves without seeing, saying a word. And uh, Fleck and the VP bust in, which the VP is Johnson again. They come into the room. Uh, the CEO looks at Fleck and, and just fires him on the spot. Uh, Fleck pulls a pistol out of his jacket i guess and then walks off screen and just a moment later you hear a (laughs) as uh, fleck supposedly kills himself uh after this happens johnson essentially says well maybe we should start getting police officers to join rehab and the ceo thinks this is a great idea so right after this happens then we cut to uh, an old familiar friend of a set, and that's the uh, the old industrial complex from the first and second movies. Apparently, the Resistance now are using this place as their main hideout. Um, we we kind of pan down and we see uh, they've got kind of a makeshift school going on. Um, we see that there's a lot of kids that are you know paying attention to a teacher. Some of them have computers and we see Nico kind of sitting by herself with her personal computer doing things on it. Uh, the camera continues moving and we go down and we see that they've got uh, Murphy there kind of laying on a hospital chair looking thing. And they're discussing how they can put him back together. Uh, the people that they have in the resistance, they're like car mechanics and normal people. And they have no idea how to work on RoboCop. 
they're debating and they just they don't know what to do. Uh, Nico, at some point, she gets up and she walks over and starts listening to them talking. Well, while they're uh, while they're talking about it and debating what to do, Murphy kind of looks up and uh, he tells them that they need to find Dr. Lazarus, that she can help and that they need to go get him. So. For some reason, uh, the resistance decide that the best thing to do here is to send Nico to get Lazarus. So they send this little, I think she's 11-year-old girl, by herself to the police station to go find Dr. Lazarus. So she goes, uh, she gets there, and she walks right into where they keep RoboCop with no problems. And they see Dr. Lazarus there packing up her stuff because she's been fired. Nico tells her that uh, Murphy told her to tell Lazarus, thank you. Uh, the guy that jumped off the building, I thought that was pretty sudden uh, mm -hmm. but that does kick off so the guy jumps off and Fleck hears about it or whatever and he's like uh, that was a coward's way out if I go I'm gonna mm. eat a bullet and yeah. he's get, he shows that he's got his gun in his uh, in his holster and then he goes into the Which, CEO's uh, office immediately gets fired and then eats a bullet <laughs> yeah so I guess he wasn't blowing smoke yeah um, and you know I'll say this this is a pretty hard PG-13. Yeah. Right? You don't see a lot of suicides in PG-13s these days. Yeah, no, that that was that's skirting the line for sure. And uh, the CEO before he when he fires Fleck, he says, because uh, security concepts can kiss my freckled butt. You're fired. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a pretty good, pretty good line. Oh, and then before that. Uh, I believe it was Johnson or Fleck said everyone's expendable. Remember the old man mm -hmm. alluding to the fact that either the old man was fired or killed by the Kanemitsu Corporation. Right. We we don't ever find out which, but he's obviously gone. Uh, we Or uh, decided he didn't want to be in another movie. Well, that's actually what happened, but <laughs> <laughs> after reading the script. <laughs> uh we see an industrial facility, surprise, in a RoboCop movie. And uh, the guy, one of the guys, he's like a mechanic guy. He's one of the Resistance members. I always remember him as a character on Seinfeld. He was one of the bosses. Mm -hmm. But he looks at RoboCop and he's like, I've never worked on a damn RoboCop before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's like, I can do the body work. <laughs> I can do the body work. I don't know how to... <laughs> Um, Which, you know, that's probably a fair complaint. Yeah. <laughs> like they're insinuating that he's a car mechanic and it's like, how how do you expect a car mechanic to know how to put RoboCop back together? Yeah. No, it was it was fine. I just thought it was funny. And have we we haven't met Automo yet again, have we? Uh, well, I mean, just from when he came into the yeah headquarters, we haven't seen the very next scene is where we meet him again. OK, we haven't seen crazy face yet. Speaking of, then, uh, we cut and we see Otomo. And Otomo is in the sewers and he's in the hideout where previously uh, all of the resistance, or at least the, the main resistance members were. It's the place where they decided to leave whenever the explosion happened nearby. Uh, he walks into the area and as soon as he walks in, he gets kind of ambushed by three people who surround him and pull guns on him. And they're like, you're here uh, a little late. 
Well, he he fights the three guys and he kills two of them super easy by like he hits one, takes his gun and like does a jump flip over both of them and then shoots them down. Uh, So those two are down. And while he's uh, while he's dealing with them, the third one grabs a steel pipe and just smacks him right across the mouth with the steel pipe. Uh, Otomo doesn't fall down, but he is. his face kind of flies to the side and then he comes back forward and you can see that his jaw is like horribly dislocated. He, uh, he reaches his hand up and kind of fixes his jaw back in place, which at this point it becomes pretty obvious that Otomo is a robot because that pipe didn't do anything but knock his jaw out. And then he just puts it back in place. So once he gets his jaw back in place, he goes up, grabs the guy and, uh, you know, the guy's like, I'm never going to tell you where they are. And the guy, you know, um, Otomo, he doesn't care. He just kind of breaks the guy's neck and throws him down. And then he turns around and we see laying on the floor a uh, kind of transparent piece of paper with a zigzaggy looking line on it. Uh, he picks up this piece of paper. And um, walks off, basically. Mm hmm. So uh, after he grabs that piece of paper, then we cut back to the main hideout and uh, Murphy is laying in his bed and he all of a sudden kind of looks up and he's like, there's a vehicle approaching. <laughs> so the the whole group, they go outside and they see this police van slowly rolling into the headquarters. Uh, they all draw down on it and get ready to just unload on it. It stops and Nico gets out of the van and she's got Lazarus with her and all of their gear. So Lazarus sees Murphy and they immediately get to work trying to fix him up. They, uh, they say that they have to shut him off for some of these repairs. So we then get a throwback to the first movie again, where we get a couple of POV shots from Robocop's point of view, where he's waking up and going back to sleep as they're repairing him. Uh, they're kind of struggling getting him repaired. Like a lot of things go wrong. Like at one point you see one of the guys like using a screwdriver or a drill on him and you hear, watch out for her, and then... <laughs> You see, you know, liquid squirt everywhere and he passes out again. Uh, And we then kind of go into Murphy's brain a little bit. Uh, There's this weird sequence where we first we see sound of some flashbacks of things that happened to him. And then we start going through this electric circuit board tunnel kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And while we're flying through this, we start seeing shots of uh, Murphy's wife. And then we see shots of Lewis. And in a kind of weird juxtaposition setup, I don't know what you want to call it. They, they start morphing into each other. So his wife's face morphs into Lewis's face and then back to his wife's face again. Um, it's a little odd, but uh, right after this happens, uh, he basically you see his eyes open. There's a very interesting uh, zoom out spinny shot. As we zoom out, and apparently Murphy now is back at 100% up and running. Uh, Nico wakes up. Uh, she's, she's asleep. She sees Dr. Lazarus asleep. She goes over to Dr. Lazarus and for some reason kind of pets her head a little bit, strokes her hair. And then she walks over to Murphy, who's sitting in the chair. Uh, she asks Murphy what his name is and uh, then asks if he's going to stay and help him. Uh, she says that, you know, they say that if we can hold out a few more days, then OCP will have to let my parents go, meaning that they'll default on their loans and won't be able to do the project. 
while this is happening, Murphy goes through the uh, data that he downloaded from the police station earlier, finds her parents, and he finds out that both of them are deceased. Uh, he asks her, he doesn't tell her that they're dead, but he asks her if she remembers her mom and dad. She says that she does, and he says that as long as she remembers them, then they're never really gone, um, which Nico is comforted by this and uh, lays her head down on his leg and falls to sleep. And when she does so, Robocop kind of reaches down and starts stroking her hair. Uh, Dr. Lazarus wakes up, sees them together and tells Nico or tells Robocop that Nico needs to go to sleep. Uh, and at this point, Murphy asks if he could have a uh, just a moment with her. And Lazarus agrees to this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was the most that was the point at which I was like, this is the most humanity we've seen from him at this point. Well, you know, if you think about it from the very first film, this is the only time we ever see anyone treating Murphy with like real human tenderness. Mm -hmm. Like there's never anything like that previous to this. Yeah. The closest was probably Lewis, but she didn't she didn't do anything close to that. She was just a yeah, friend. There was nothing, nothing like that. Nothing close human bondage, just kind of a professional partner relationship kind of thing. Yeah. This was uh, this was actual like contact, like this little girl fell asleep on him and uh, you could tell he was he was really just soaking up the moment. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, it, it was actually I thought it was really nice. It was a it was a cool scene. I liked it a lot. Yeah, it was decent. A little odd, but it was cool. Yeah. Going back to Otomo's crazy face. That's at the point I was like, that's where they reveal he truly is a cyborg or a robot. Mm hmm. How does Robocop know that vehicles are approaching from like through a sewer up to the top? Um, well, they weren't in a sewer, right? They, they were, were they oh, were that's in right. that industrial they were complex. In industrial. Yep. But still. But I mean, the answer is the same either way, <laughs> right? It's because he's Robocop <laughs> and he can do whatever the writers want him to do at that moment. Yeah. Just not consistently. <laughs> yes. Also, Robocop has a heart. That's the first time I think we realize he has an actual, well, it's not a real heart, but it's more like a synthetic heart. They actually mm -hmm. show it at one point. So I guess that's how he had a, he was basically having a heart attack. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Robocop having a heart attack. Um, uh, they remove the fourth directive. So once again, mm -hmm. we've, we've edited the directives. He no longer has the the block on the OCP, endangering the o OCP members. And yeah, that weird morphing thing, it was like, I guess it was the three people or the three women that he was the closest to. It was his wife, Lewis, and it was also Dr. Lazarus. Oh, yeah, she made that appearance, too. That's right. So it was very weird. Uh, we get a we get a cool flashback to Robocop one. Uh, where. Kurtwood Smith or Boddicker mm -hmm. shoots him. Yeah, that happens when um, Nico asks him how he became Robocop. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we find out that Nico's parents are indeed deceased. Sadly. Yeah, I didn't really expect that. And I thought it was interesting the way they chose to uh, reveal that to the audience, right? Like, we only know that because he finds their records while searching through them and we see a little deceased message flashing at the bottom. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a, that was a clever way to tell us that that's what had happened. Yeah. It wasn't bad. 
that that scene at the end I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. The uh, the Otomo fight scene was okay, but um, yeah, seeing seeing RoboCop actually feeling some human emotion and some attachment and wanting to console this little girl whose parents are gone, um, and also probably just really craving some, you know, human affection interaction. Yeah. Um, I'm wanting to say intimacy, but I don't want that to come across as the wrong word. Do you know what I mean, though? Like right. Closeness. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was something that I wish they had explored a little more. Uh, it's the first time we'd seen it in the movie. And this is one of the, to me, it was one of the more profound moments in the whole movie is seeing that he he has that component still and he can tap into it. Yeah. And we, like we said, we've been waiting for this transition for three movies. We get a little bit of it and then it's. It's gone at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did want to mention that Automo finds that zigzag line, mm-hmm. and I'll I'll probably save my further discussions for later when he actually uses it. But well, I mean, we can go ahead and say okay, right? It, it's obvious what that zigzag line is. Zigzag line is. I mean, as soon as I saw it, I knew what it was. But would he have known? I don't know. I think he might have. Man, but maybe know. not. He knew exactly. I don't know. He knew exactly where to place it and he knew exactly what it was. I mean, it seemed pretty obvious to me. As soon as I saw it, I was like, that's a map overlay. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I don't know about Otomo and his capacity to, to solve problems, but I figure if I can do it, Otomo probably. <laughs> I guess he's a machine. <laughs> All right, I digress. All right. move on. So, uh, in the next scene, uh, we see Otomo, and he's walking into a gas station. He goes up to a kind of vending machine for maps of Detroit. He smashes it, and he pulls out a map. Uh, the gas station attendant is like, hey, you got to pay for that. What are you doing? And uh, chases Otomo outside. Uh, Otomo sees that the guy's not going to let up, so he pulls his sword out. And he he slashes it real fast and winds up cutting through this giant steel sign that's in the front of the gas station and it falls over. So the guy's like, uh, OK, and he goes back <laughs> in. So after this happens, um, we see Otomo kind of pulling out the map and pulling out the transparent paper with the line on it. And he, he lays the the line over the map and you can see that it's a it's kind of a map that points to where the resistance hideout is. So now Otomo knows where they're hiding out. So right after this, we cut back to the hideout and uh, Lazarus and the crew are hanging around and she sees the uh, the Robocop parts that they took from the armory in the high scene at the beginning of the movie. When she says this, she gets really excited and she's like, where did y'all get that? And they explain and she tells them that what this is, is it's a flight kit that she had built for Robocop, but that never wound up getting used. Uh, it's basically a RoboCop jetpack. Uh, she takes Murphy and she she hooks the kit up to him and is explaining how it works and how it's got this battery pack in it and all this stuff. And while she's doing this, suddenly Murphy has a flashback to uh, Lewis laying in the church dying, saying, I need you to get him for me. Uh, when this happens, he gets really mad. He just kind of shrugs off this jetpack that they had just striped strapped onto him. Uh, He picks up his helmet. He picks up the gun arm that he used when he shot the spider punks and he takes off. Well, you know, the resistance can't really stop him. So they just let him go. And they're like, uh, Lazarus is like, don't worry, he'll be back. 
So he leaves and immediately he goes straight to the police station. Uh, when he walks in, the, the sergeant looks up and sees him and everyone's kind of like, you know, the bad guy just walked into the saloon in a Western. Mm-hmm. You know, everything kind of stops. You can almost hear that record sound. <laughs> and uh, the chief looks up at him and uh, he's like, you know, there's a warrant for your arrest, right? And Robo Cop just goes, yes. <laughs> and uh, he then uh, the sergeants then are like, well, wh- what do you need? What are you here for? And he says, uh, I need you to tell me where the rehab staging area is. And Murphy's like, oh, it's, you know, go over this way. And it's just down the hall. And uh, Robocop's like, thanks. And as he's walking by, he looks at the sergeant and he says, you may want to call the fire department. <laughs> and he holds up his uh, one of his gun arms and it's a flamethrower. <laughs> yes. The, he uh, go ahead. The old flamethrower. The, the old flamethrower arm. We've uh, I, I knew we had jumped the shark whenever <laughs> we found out it's a jetpack. Oh, yeah. I was like, oh, my God, this is about to happen. <laughs> and thank so let's go. Ahead. Thankfully, there's some delayed gratification there because he <laughs> he decides I'm not going to use it right now. I'm going to wait. Mm-hmm. Save it for later. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, he uh, <clears throat> he walks into the police department and everyone's looking at him like, holy crap, it's Robocop. And he goes straight to where the chief told him that the staging area for rehab was. Uh, we see two rehab employees sitting there. One of them has a cigarette. He looks at the other guy and he's like, uh, hey, you got a light? And we cut to Robocop who says, allow me, scum. And then just whoosh, he just lights everything on fire. Um People scatter and, and get scared and he winds up cornering one of the officers and enters interrogation mode and basically grabs the guy and uh, demands to know where McDaggett is because McDaggett's not in that office. So, um, yeah, he pretty much burns the the police station down, although it's just that one area of it. Yeah, uh, there's a guy, <laughs> there's a guy talking to the chief as RoboCop comes in. He's just some random guy off the street. That dude's hilarious. He's like, I guess he's never seen RoboCop before. He's like, you got a RoboCop here, right? You got a robot cop. He's like, you got an alien cop. You got a ghost cop. You got a vampire cop. Vampire cop. (laughs) And poor, the poor sergeant's just sitting there like, uh, (laughs) like, I can't deal with this right now, man. Uh, The guy just keeps going. Vampire cop. Who, where did this guy come from? He's <laughs> no, it's pretty funny though. Uh, two great lines from Robo- Robocop during this sequence. You said both of them, and then we use this is where we use the old Robocop theme music while he's flamethrowing everybody. Ah, uh, and yeah, he really does. He just he, he brings the hammer, man. Yeah, that that allow me scum <laughs> and just whoosh. <laughs> That attachment he has is multi-purpose, apparently. Yeah, I'm not sure if there... I guess it was just one attachment. I didn't know if there were multiple ones that did different things or if there was one attachment that had machine guns and a bomb and a flamethrower all on it. That's a lot to squeeze into just an elbow to a hand. That's what I gathered. It was a multi-tool arm attachment. (laughs) All right, so... Um, as soon as the interrogation, you know, takes place, we know that he's going to find out. 
and uh, the camera cuts to this kind of sleazy looking hotel. And we see a bunch of rehab officers at the hotel kind of letting off some steam, so to speak, uh, chasing ladies and drinking and just having a good time. Uh, we find out that McDaggett is in this hotel and he's on the phone with Mr. Kanemitsu. Um, McDaggett has this ominous, ominous, nah, ominous looking briefcase that's in his room with him. And uh, we find out that this is a special device that was sent to him uh, by Kanemitsu himself. Uh, we don't know what it does, but uh, Kanemitsu asks McDaggett if he's used it. McDaggett's like, not yet. And I hope I don't have to. So it's real like. What is this thing? Oh, my gosh. Is it like a nuclear bomb or something? <laughs> well, while they're talking uh, right after they get off the phone, uh, there's a knock on McDaggett's door. And uh, the door opens and Koontz walks in and we find out that Koontz wants to sell out the location of the resistance's hideout for money. So uh, we've got a betrayer in our midst, John. Yeah. You know, I was just thinking about this and I don't want to give. I don't want to make this movie sound less than, but I kept thinking the matrix when I was watching this movie. I can kind of see that. Yeah. There's some parallels. I don't even want to say that the Wachowskis even thought about Robocop three when they were making the matrix. Cause well, there may have been some influence. Though. Maybe I, I wouldn't, I, mean, I wouldn't admit it. If so, <laughs> you never know. Uh, um, so anyway, we cut outside and we see two rehab officers and they're kind of harassing a girl, um, trying to pressure her into uh, giving up the goods, so to speak. Well, Robocop shows up and uh, he tells him to leave the girl alone and then winds up shooting both of them dead. He then tells her to go home. And she's happy that he did this. So he goes inside and you see the hotel clerk sitting at the uh, desk and he goes, where's McDaggett? And the guy's like, oh, he's in room 212. And uh, Robocop starts towards the elevator and he's like, oh, um, by the way, the, the elevator door sticks. <laughs> and uh, uh, Robocop looks at him and he's like, I hope you have insurance <laughs> and then goes and gets in the elevator. So. He gets in the elevator and takes it up. And indeed, the elevator door does <laughs> stick. It, it's a, one of the funniest scenes in the movie, probably. The uh, the elevator door only opens about halfway and you see him try to squeeze through and then it closes again. And then it opens a little bit and then it closes again. <laughs> he gets frustrated because he's on this revenge kick. And so he just punches the door out <laughs> and busts it open and walks into the room. Uh. <laughs> Uh, as soon as he comes out, uh, the rehab officers get out their guns and start shooting, you know, preparing to shoot him. Uh, he pulls his gun out in <laughs> probably my favorite scene of the movie. <laughs> he uh, he shoots a gun out of one of the rehab officers hands and he shoots it like 18 times <laughs> and it like juggles it in the air. And it's obvious that it's a gun attached to a string and it's just someone spinning it. But he shoots it a few times and then lets it fall to the ground. And then he looks at the guy and goes, don't. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, the rehab officers are like, OK, we won't. <laughs> and Robocop goes into McDaggett's room. Uh, as soon as he walks in, he sees Koontz there still talking to McDaggett. And he's like, Koontz, you son of a. Uh, he doesn't say that, but that's what he's thinking. Yeah. 
And while RoboCop is registering the fact that Koontz is here selling out the resistance, McDaggett bails out of the window and jumps into a uh, rehab van that is just happens to be conveniently driving by. And he's like, go, go, go. And he takes off escaping in the van. RoboCop, he's like, oh, heck no, this isn't happening. And so he runs outside and he sees a pimp <laughs> sitting next to a pink Cadillac. And he's like, uh, I need to commandeer your vehicle. And the, the pimp is like, who the heck do you think you're? And then he sees it's RoboCop and he's like, uh, here you go, sir. And he pulls out <laughs> the keys and hands them to him. And he's like, have a, have a great time. And so uh, now starts the most ridiculous car chase <laughs> of the scene. Uh, RoboCop in a pimp's pink Cadillac chasing McDaggett in the back of a rehab armored van. Uh, RoboCop, he catches them pretty quick. Uh, while he's catching them, McDaggett gets in the back of the van. He straps himself to the sides and he gets a whole bunch of guns and he's ready for a fight. So he throws open the back of the van and starts just shooting at RoboCop. RoboCop sticks his gun through the windshield and starts shooting while he's driving. And uh, apparently RoboCop's targeting system will let him, you know, ricochet bullets off of steel to hit hostages holding babies. But he cannot hit <laughs> McDaggett in a van while he's driving. So there's uh, there may be a software issue there, but yeah. he can't seem to hit McDaggett. Um, meanwhile, McDaggett's not having any issues blowing the car to hell. <laughs> he uh Unfortunately, he's just using regular bullets, though, and nothing's really working. And so McDaggett pulls out the explosive bullets that he used to pretty much one shot RoboCop earlier in the film and starts just blasting this car. And I mean, he blows up that Cadillac at least four times. Mm -hmm. And every time another part of the, <laughs> the Cadillac falls off and, uh, you know, by the time he's done shooting at him, basically RoboCop is sitting on a frame with an engine, a seat and a steering wheel and nothing else on it. Like it, it looks like a cartoon and it still works. <laughs> it's still working. He's still chasing the van. So the van comes through an alley or a road and they see a bunch of kids playing street hockey. The kids see the van coming and they're like, Oh, get out of the way. And so they run and uh, McDaggett has kind of a <laughs> moment. And from somewhere he produces just stacks of cash <laughs> And throws it out the back of the van, which the kids see the money and they're like, ah, and they run and start grabbing up all the money. And effectively, they block the road, which means RoboCop has to stop and McDaggett gets away. Yeah. Uh, as RoboCop stops, he uh, he gets out of the car, which is less of a car and more of an engine in a frame. And we find that uh, apparently they fixed his car wash component <laughs> because his armor is sparkling clean and flawless. <laughs> Yeah, um, I'll, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just lightly go over this scene because it's. I'm just gonna tell you right now, it's my silliest scene. Um, oh, it's, gotta, it's yeah. so ridiculous! Literally out of like a Naked Gun movie. Yes, <clears throat> it is kind of like the Naked Gun movie. The scene where the car keeps blowing up, yeah. like he he hits the gas truck and then he hits the <laughs> missile and then he crashes into the fireworks. Yeah. It's a lot like it that. is, and uh, he's in a pink pimp Cadillac with LED lights or whatever lining the the uh, borders. He's got the fuzzy dice in the rearview mirror, and he's just, <laughs> he's chasing after McDaggett, and McDaggett literally throws money at the problem, and that's what stops Robocop from chasing. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> 
but I will go, yep. I will go into more detail in the spice awards. <laughs> All right. So in the interest of, of saving time, I guess we'll keep moving forward then. So we cut back to the hideout and the resistance, they're sitting there and they're all wondering where RoboCop's at. One person's like, well, we could just go out and drive around and follow the sounds of explosions and we'll find him, <laughs> which I thought was a fun line. But mm -hmm. uh, while they're debating this, Koontz shows up. He comes in and he pulls out a gun on everyone in the room, apparently. <laughs> like it's a it's a hideout filled with armed resistance members and he pulls out a pistol and he's like, nobody move <laughs> and they don't move. So, you know, there's that. Um, he's like, uh, it's all going to be over within a minute. Let's just all sit down and have a little chat. Well, while he's saying this, one of the other resistance members sneaks up and pulls a gun on him and he has to drop the drop the gun. And uh, about that point, they're like, what do you mean? It's all going to be over soon. And then they realize, oh, my gosh, Koontz sold us out. We have to evacuate. And they stand up and they start getting ready to run. And as soon as they do, rehab busts through the windows at the top of this factory and start rappelling down on ropes. And they are just spraying bullets <laughs> everywhere. Like They don't even first. Well, we can talk about it when we talk about the scene. Okay. So <laughs> they rope down, start shooting everything that moves. Um, Bartha is making a stand and she gets shot and winds up dying rather dramatically. Nico and Lazarus, they take off running. Uh, they find an air vent, which Lazarus bends back and tells Nico to get into. So she does. And then Lazarus shuts the vent and doesn't get in with her. Uh, Nico is upset about this because she's flashing back to how her parents had left her. And uh, she's like, no, I don't want to be separated again. And Lazarus is like, go. And so she does. And so poor Nico is on her own again. Right after that, Lazarus gets caught directly by McDaggett, who uh, hauls her off to OCP headquarters. And we find out that during this big fight, Koontz was also gunned down. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, the, so there's a lot here. The SWAT team, I guess, whatever they are, the rehab team smashing through the window at a very high rate of speed. Like, and okay, like, first of all, <laughs> let's let's think about this, right? Like, okay. Koontz just walked through the front door. There wasn't really any real security there. He just walked in, uh -huh. right? Why did they have to come in through the top floor windows on ropes? <laughs> Why couldn't they just come in? Because. because. <laughs> okay. Okay. Two. They don't even look like, I mean, as soon as they come through the grass, they just start like, it's amazing. They didn't shoot each other. Like They just start shooting everything. Their, their prime directive was as soon as you get in the window, start firing. And they just, Oh my gosh. I, I, I wondered if you would have thought that was ridiculous. Also, I, I was glad it wasn't just me. Oh, they come in and just not a freeze or anything. They're just. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. They almost look like rag dolls with guns. And just <laughs> Come on, there's kids in here, man. And so another thing that was I wanted to mention about this scene was Bertha's death. Mm. Did that seem a little silly to you? Uh, no more silly than anything else, I guess. <laughs> it just like like she takes the shots and she falls down on like a bed or a bunk or something. Mm hmm. And she looks at everybody and she's kind of half sitting up and she's like, run, get out of here. <laughs> and then she just like flops down. 
you know what I mean? Like, it was a really strange looking death to me. Like, she's sitting up and she's looking at him and she's like, get out of here. And then she's like, just blah. <laughs> I don't know. Something, uh, it, it looked awfully odd to me. Koontz's death was also odd. They, mm-hmm. Yeah, they gunned down Koontz. They don't show him getting killed, but then they're like, someone says, where's Koontz or something? And they cut over to him and he's, his face is already pale. Like he's been dead for mm-hmm. for hours. <laughs> And like, oh, good. Now we don't have to pay him. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. All right. So uh, <laughs> we uh, we cut back then now that this has happened and we go to um, the the headquarters, the police headquarters. McDaggett, he busts up in there and he goes right up to the sergeant. And he's like, I demand that you give me 50 men in full armor and gear right now. The sergeant's like, no, I'm not going to do that. And uh, Johnson's with him and Johnson's like, what do you mean? Think about your benefits. Think about your family. Well, you lose health coverage. <laughs> and the uh, the chief is like, yeah, I'm done. And he takes off his badge and throws it on the ground and walks off. Well, as soon as he does that, another cop does the same thing. And then another cop. And then before long, the entire police force quits and just leaves. Uh, McDaggett. Who's like, well, we need more people. What are we going to do? We need to get the people out of Cadillac Heights. He looks over and he sees a splatterpunk who has been arrested. He's sitting over there in the corner like uh, all the cops just quit. I'm going to just kind of walk out now. (laughs) And uh, McDaggett goes over to him and he's like, hey, how would you like to make some money? And then essentially what happens is rehab decides to recruit the splatter punks into rehab instead of the cops. So they're going to pick up this gang of psychos instead of the cops. Um, Right after this, we cut to the second commercial, I think, of the movie, Mm -hmm. which is a silly cartoon sequence where we see a bunch of bullies picking on a kind of wimpy looking kid. And um, this superhero rehab officer busts through a fence and saves the kid. And we found out that it winds up being a commercial for rehab action figures. (laughs) And they've got like the vans and the soldiers that kids can play with and stuff. And uh, then we cut to the news, as you do after a commercial now. And uh, the lady is announcing that Robocop has uh, broken into a church and ruthlessly gunned down a whole bunch of nuns. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, after she says that, she's like, I can't handle this. This is, this is just malarkey. And she throws her papers down and she quits, leaving the crew stunned. And the uh, the male anchor remains just kind of gobsmacked. Uh, before we move on, a few things. And Johnson says, you're jeopardizing your retirement benefits as they walk out. <laughs> uh, the commercial. Uh, Johnson's great. Yeah, he's awesome. The commercial was probably the most jarring one of all of the franchise just because Mm -hmm. it was animated and they, you know how they go, they go into those commercials with a quick cut. And I was like, did I, did my video when I ripped my video, did I rip like part of a animated cartoon? Uh, When you did what? When I legally watched this movie, (laughs) I bought the movie. (laughs) Anyway, that was that was very jarring. And then yeah, it was <laughs> the reenactment of RoboCop in the church was pretty hilarious because it just shows his feet 
Oh, yeah. And just, actor reenactment, it says on the screen. Yeah. And it's just Robocop's feet walking across the screen. Uh, anyway. Killed those nuns. Yeah. He's a horrible person. I mean, robot. <laughs> I don't know. It's debatable. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so we cut to OCP headquarters. We see a bunch of armed guards patrolling outside. And uh, the camera zooms into an air vent where we see Nico has somehow gotten from the industrial complex air vent into the OCP air vents. She's got her laptop with her and uh, she's found some in the air vent. She found a uh, security terminal and is hacked into the security system of OCP. Mm -hmm. Uh, She is watching the security cameras and uh, she zooms in on the newscast that we had just seen for a little bit and uh, watches the male anchor really aggressively picking his nose. Um, (laughs) After watching this for a moment, uh, she opens up a few more cameras and she winds up finding the room where Dr. Lazarus is being held captive. Uh, We cut to McDaggett and uh, McDaggett is telling everyone in rehab that they have a green light to go and essentially evict all of Cadillac Heights. Um, So they've got the splatter punks and we're ready to roll. Uh, We cut outside and we see the, the gang members getting guns and armor and kind of giggling maniacally as they're getting all this fun stuff to play with, picking up, you know, rocket launchers and shotguns and body armor and helmets and all this stuff. The camera then cuts to Cadillac Heights where we see the resistance and surprisingly, most of the leaders except for Bertha made it out alive. Um, They are defeated. They're not really sure what to do and they're debating, you know, what, what's going to happen. We're going to lose everything. Uh, we see a rehab guy hanging up eviction notices not not far from them. Uh, and all of a sudden, a lot of police cars drive up. Um, they pull up into the middle of the street and they stop. And uh, the sergeant, he gets out of the lead car and he tells all the people that they're sick of rehab and it's time to fight. And uh, he deputizes every citizen that's within range. And he's like, anyone that can fight, gear up and get ready. And anyone who can't take shelter because rehab's coming any minute. And so uh, the cops and the civilians now are going to team up to fight against OCP. Uh, Right after this, we cut to the old hideout where that had just been raided. And Robocop is there and he's looking around at all the carnage and seeing everything that happened. But everyone's gone. Uh, he's got a really strange posture in this scene, mm-hmm. uh, like his arms kind of fling out and freeze and he twists at his torso. <laughs> so I, I don't know what he was doing there, but it was kind of an odd thing that I noted. Uh, anyway, he looks down at the ground and he sees the transparent red line map that Otomo had. And uh, when he kind of looks up, you can see Otomo behind him kind of sneaking up on him. Otomo does this kind of weird jump kick, flips over him and, and knocks him down onto the ground. Um, he then pulls out his sword and he slices once and cuts off Murphy's fingers on one hand. And then he, uh, he cuts him again and cuts off his arm at the elbow. Uh, we then cut back again to Cadillac Heights. So at this point, the cuts really start coming crazy. So sorry. But we go back to Cadillac Heights. We see the cops and the people and they're all setting up a barricade in the street, getting ready to fight off rehab who uh, shows up. And uh, they are coming down the street slowly, led by all of these armored and uh, armed splatterpunk members in the front. Uh, as they pull up, um, rehab just opens fire, winds up blowing up a bunch of cars. And then we cut back 
to uh, Otomo and RoboCop. And uh, we're like, all right, now it's time. It's time for the showdown. You know, they've been building it up, but we're going to get to see Otomo versus RoboCop. The American cop ninja versus the Japanese samurai ninja or ninja robot or whatever. <laughs> um, so, I mean, it's obvious that Otomo is faster, despite the fact that RoboCop can catch bullets at some point. It doesn't matter because Otomo's faster. And Otomo is really kind of putting the, the smack on him. RoboCop basically gets knocked down to the ground and never gets back up. Um, he looks over and conveniently right next to him is his little gun arm. So he picks that up. And thankfully, the way that Otomo sliced his arm was exactly where the connection is, I guess. Convenient. He just sticks it right where the arm was sliced off and it works. Mm -hmm. And uh, he just pulls his gun up and shoots once. And it's one of those bombs and just blows Otomo's head off. <laughs> and that's it. That's the end of the showdown. Yeah. I want to mention this before I forget. You know it's a bet. Like, RoboCop is slow. Except when he's catching bullets. Yeah. So, whenever he was fighting Ed 209, it was great. Because they were both slow. When he was fighting Kane. Yeah, it was kind of stop motion yeah. type stuff. When he was fighting Kane, perfect. They're both slow. But Otomo is fast. He's agile. Mm -hmm. And it's clear from the fight that Otomo just could have destroyed him if he wanted to. But yeah. So, they... the the people that are writing this movie or directing this movie have to figure out a way to get him out of that situation. And any, apparently by any means necessary, because <laughs> like you said, he's on the ground this whole time and he just happens yeah. to land next to that. Uh, sorry, flamethrower bomb, uh, machine gun attachment machine gun. Yeah. And so he puts it on and blows his head off. And as we see in a little bit, a similar thing Similar-ish thing happens. See, I really thought that the answer to that problem would be the jetpack. I thought he would use that to get agility and then we would see a cool fight. But no, he just one-shots him with a grenade to the head and that's all it takes. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we didn't see the jetpack because we know how that turns out. But <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we do. It was really a, a huge letdown, though. Yeah. So much of this movie was building up towards the inevitable showdown between Otomo and Robocop. Mm -hmm. And it's just Otomo kicks him a bunch, cuts off his arm and then gets his head blown off. Yeah. Like, that's it. That's that's the whole fight. Mm -hmm. Literally. Uh, I do want to mention, I thought it was really cool that the cops decided to join the citizens. I thought that was a really neat idea. Yeah. So that you get the, the resistance and the, the cops and they all deputize them, which they're not cops anymore, but I guess it doesn't matter. Mm hmm. And they start building a barricade and they're ready to make their stand. I thought that was that was really cool. Yeah. Oh, before I forget, there's a scene when the splatterpunks are gearing up to go attack the uh, citizens. And there's a guy with a mohawk. And in the background, he's trying to figure out how to put a helmet on. And he can't yes. he can't do it. <laughs> Little little moment, they, but I uh, thought it was funny. They really kind of depict the spatter the splatter punks as pretty much just animals. Yeah, like they don't really have any personality. All they want to do is they're kind of like the bad guys in the first movie. <clears throat> they just want violence, and that's it. Mm -hmm. All right, so Otomo is dead. He got his head blown off. Uh, we cut back to the uh, the street, and we see the fight continuing. Um, they're you know fighting as best they can, 
And then we cut to the CEO of OCP and McDaggett, who are in a room at OCP watching the fight unfold, I guess, through video cameras and things. Uh, the CEO, he's mad. He, he says McDaggett's gone too far and he can't believe that he's actually sending rehab to fight against ex-cops and civilians. Um, McDaggett basically pulls a gun on the CEO and tells him to shut up. And the CEO does. So we then cut to Nico, who uh, has navigated through the air vents and has found Lazarus. Um, Nico winds up hacking all of the TV stations in the area. And then she also has a camera, I guess, and films Lazarus, who makes a plea to all of the citizens of Detroit to uh, fight against rehab. Uh, she basically goes on a kind of a tirade saying that OCP's lying. Rehab's all a bunch of mercenaries and thugs. They don't care about people. They're killing people and we have to stand up to them uh, in order to fight them and, and knock them backwards. We then cut to Murphy, who's laying on the ground, um, apparently spent from that just horrible fight that he had with Otomo. <laughs> and uh, he kind of comes to and hears Lazarus's voice. Well, his legs don't work anymore for some reason. And so <laughs> he starts crawling towards the, the voice and he finds a TV that uh, she's broadcasting on. And he, he sees the he sees her talking and then he looks over and he sees the flight kit laying on the ground where he had shrugged it off earlier. And the audience knows what's about to happen. Mm -hmm. The, the camera, it goes back to the streets. Um, rehab pulls up with the tank and that tank just starts decimating the people in the streets and the cops. They're just getting blown to heck and uh, they're losing the fight. Morale's low and it's not looking good. And all of a sudden we hear this loud jet engine noise and uh, a whole bunch of windows and buildings just shatter. <laughs> um, good news. Flying Robocop has arrived. Uh, he flies up, uh, shoots the tank with a single shot and blows it up. And then just basically single robotedly takes out all of rehab in about, I don't know, 10 seconds, maybe. Mm -hmm. Which wouldn't have been a bad idea, except it looks so bad. <laughs> It, it wasn't great. It was yeah. some of the worst CG uh, in this entire franchise by far. It was a little rough. I made, I noted it twice how horrible the effects were. <laughs> That's how bad it was. <laughs> and yeah, he just like, he, he wipes out everybody in like, it's not even 10 seconds. It's like five seconds. Like he blows up the tank and then he turns around and, brrr, and then it's over. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Everyone's dead. So I don't know. Now, here's the age old question. How did he get the jetpack on? He just rolled into it, I guess. Hmm. I mean, he couldn't walk, so he had to just drag himself over and <laughs> put it on. Yeah. Because he's Robocop. Yes. There we go. I mean, he can catch bullets. There we go. He can certainly put a <laughs> jetpack on. That's the answer I was looking for. <laughs> anyway, back at OCP headquarters. Um, we see McDaggett and he's got the briefcase open and he's arming that the briefcase. So it's like, oh, no, this notorious briefcase. What the heck is it going to do? And um, while this is happening, Lazarus, she manages to trick the guards into opening the door to her cell. And when they do, she takes out three guards by herself, basically. Um, and her and Nico escape into the building. We go back and we see the CEO and McDaggett and they're talking. 
uh, the CEO is looking at a stock chart of OCP stock and it's just dropped down to zero. And he's just like, oh, the company's <laughs> ruined. We're done. Well, while he's doing this, RoboCop flies into the room, busting through the windows and uh, lands on his legs. His legs work again. He uh, for some reason, as soon as he lands, he just takes off the jetpack again. Uh, he hates wearing that thing. And uh, he pulls out his gun ready for action. Well, McDaggett knew this was happening and he grins. And all of a sudden, Otomo walks into the room and you're like, what? An Otomo? What's this guy doing here? <laughs> well, Robocop shoots it. And uh, actually, no, he's. I don't think he shoots it yet. He's getting ready to fight it. And what happens is while he's getting ready to fight it, another Otomo comes out. And so now we're looking at RoboCop versus two Otomos and McDaggett. Um, the CEO, he sees what's going down and he's like, uh, nope. <laughs> and he just runs out and he's like, I'm not. Nope. Mm -mm. Yeah. He says, OCP and, is uh, yours. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, RoboCop pulls out his gun and he shoots one of the, the Otomos in the face. And this is where if you've ever seen a picture from RoboCop 3, it's probably this picture. Um, the Otomo's face shatters and gets stuck in this weird wide eyed grin that uh, it maintains, I guess, for the rest of the the fight. And it, it's very odd and it's kind of interesting, but it's a very memorable face. Mm -hmm. So if you see it, you'll know what I'm talking about. So RoboCop, he's gearing up to fight these two Otomo's and all of a sudden Nico and Lazarus show up. Mm -hmm. um, I guess they decided they were going to run to the CEO's office after escaping from captivity. And um, Nico sees what's happening. She instantly realizes that the Otomos are robots and she pulls out her laptop and hacks them both <laughs> in like 20 seconds. Bluetooth. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so the Otomos then she makes them fight each other. And they both swing their swords at each other's heads and they wind up cutting each other's heads off just like that. Just boom. So, um, <laughs> you just snort. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> Sorry. Right after this happens, McDaggett looks up at him and it's like, you fools, what have you done? And then he points to this special doomsday device and he's like, this device makes Otomos explode after they die. <laughs> and it, <laughs> okay and at this point i'm like what that's all it does the special device just turns the otomos into bombs when they <laughs> die well anyway uh robocop's like oh we got to get out of here because mcdaggett's like everything within you know 300 feet is going to be vaporized well robocop rolls into his jetpack <laughs> again he hits the gas <laughs> the, the fire from his jetpack burns mcdaggett's legs <laughs> He scoops up Nico and uh, Lazarus and he gets the heck out of Dodge. And while he's flying away, boom, the whole office building explodes. And that's the end of Daggett. Mm -hmm. So um, we're almost at the end. So I'm going to push a little bit, and finish this off. So uh, we cut back to the streets. Um, <laughs> everybody's kind of celebrating that they won the war against the evil rehab in OCP. And um <laughs> Robocop and everybody, they're there. And um, we see this large black limousine start pulling through the barricade. Um, Kitamura himself gets out of the car. At some point, he flew to America. Uh, the CEO is with him. So I guess he hooked up with him at some point. 
And the CEO starts dropping lines about how, well, maybe we should just scale back what we're trying to do here and, you know, maybe just settle for a nice gentrification of the neighborhood <laughs> or something. Well, uh, <laughs> Kitamura looks at him and fires him on the spot. And uh, then he walks up to Robocop and the surviving resistance members and he does a, a deep, respectful bow and then they leave. So he's basically conceding defeat and showing respect. Mm hmm. Uh, the CEO, he goes up to RoboCop and asks if, you know, what do I call you, Murphy? And Murphy looks at him and goes, my friends call me Murphy. You can call me RoboCop. <laughs> and then the credits roll in the movies. movie ends. Yes. He actually says, my friends call me Murphy. You call me RoboCop. As you call like, me You RoboCop. can call That's me. Right. You call me RoboCop. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So once again... A completely fabricated, out of left field way of defeating the Otomos. So, like, okay, first of all, Lazarus is being held captive, right? Mm -hmm. She doesn't know that the police and the people have teamed up and are fighting in the streets. She doesn't know that Robocop's upstairs fighting the CEO. Mm -hmm. Why did she take an 11 year old girl up to the CEO's office? What was she planning on doing? Uh, obviously kicking some butt, apparently. <laughs> She's going to take on all of OCP by herself with no weapons yeah. and a little girl. Yeah, because. <laughs> like, that didn't make any sense. They just show up there for no reason. Yeah. Um, two, like, okay, Nico is special, but oh my gosh. <laughs> like, literally, like, she wirelessly hacks both robots in 20 seconds. Yeah, I thought that was good. Like, <laughs> Like Ed 209 and RoboCop, I could kind of understand because she loved them and studied them and knew all about them. Mm -hmm. But she didn't know Otomos even existed <laughs> and their interface was in Japanese. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like what? <laughs> it was the most ridiculous. But you, again, like I said, RoboCop's too slow. There's no way. Well, I was going to say there's no believable way, but this wasn't believable either. So. They lost both ways. It was lose-lose. And so the movie at this point now has cheated us out of the RoboCop Otomo showdown twice. Really three times, yeah. if you consider the fact that there are three <laughs> Otomos. <laughs> we never get to see a good fight with him. Yeah. In the first one, he one-shots him with a headshot. And in the second one, they cut each other's <laughs> heads off after an 11-year-old girl hacks him <laughs> in 20 seconds. Uh, can't even make that stuff up. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And then you have more terrible special effects as RoboCop flies away with Nico and Lazarus. Yes. <clears throat> All right. So that being said, I'm certain you'll give this a very high star rating. Mm hmm. Now, let me remind you, good sir, that on RoboCop, RoboCop 2, you gave it a four out of ten. I did. Yeah. Okay. What what do you give? Uh, I, I'm giving this one a two. <laughs> I you know the only reason I'm giving it a two is because I I can see the potential that the plot had. Some of the overarching themes, if done well, could have been really good. Like I loved the thought of a resistance movement rising up against OCP. I liked the idea of rehab, kind of going rogue from what OCP is telling them to do and becoming their own kind of entity. Um, you know, I thought it was cool to see the cops and the people teaming up to fight them, the people coming together. The, like, I, I thought there were a lot of cool ideas. 
I liked the the Japanese takeover idea. And I even liked the idea of the, the Otomo robot. I thought that was super cool. It's just everything was done badly. Mm-hmm. Like, if it had been done correctly, this movie really could have been pretty cool, I think. But it wasn't. And as a result, it's a two. <laughs> <clears throat> yes. So I'm not going to give it a one because a one, in my opinion, is like not even watchable. Like completely not watchable, boring, uh, no redeeming qualities whatsoever. And I, as I mentioned in my review, retroactively, I w- would really want to give RoboCop 2 an extra point, which would give it a 5 mm-hmm. out of 10 for me. Uh, so if that's the case, then I'm going to give RoboCop 3 a 3 out of 10, which is three right. two points below RoboCop 2 if I gave it a 5 out of 10. It, it wasn't boring and... It did have, I mean, as we've discussed, it did have some good scenes, some good moments, but overall it was nonsensical, silly, ridiculous. So you know what this means, John? Yeah. What? This means that you liked RoboCop 3 and Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles the same amount. And it means that I liked Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles a little bit better. Ah, <clears throat> I think I, that would make sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does it make sense for you? Oh, yeah. Okay. I, I agree with it. I did like Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles better than RoboCop 3. All right. But it makes me sad because really, I feel like RoboCop 3 could have been great. It just, they, they screwed the pooch on it, man. Yeah, they did. All right. Let's do some Spice Awards, shall we? Let's do it. We have four categories tonight. Best actor, most underrated performance, silliest scene, and best RoboCop line. All right, best actor. I uh, went with Nancy Allen as Lewis. my brain i couldn't think of anybody she was barely in the movie but she's always been consistently good in the robocop movies and as short liz lived as her performance was it was still to me the better performance of anybody else uh most everyone else was either had really silly dialogue or it was Robert Burke, who I don't think is a better RoboCop than Peter Weller. <clears throat> and so I decided to pick her. Um, she's consistent. You know, she has that emotional scene with RoboCop. And she really mm-hmm. is the backbone of the entire franchise. So one thing that annoyed me about her character art, given the the whole three movies as context, mm-hmm. 
is that she starts the first movie and she is just a badass, right? Mm. Like you don't mess with Lewis. She's scary. She's capable and she's awesome. Yep. And then as the movies progress, she doesn't. No. You know, <laughs> like like I miss that Lewis that we had in the first movie. In the third one, she's just a good cop. Like that's it, right? Like she doesn't do anything amazing in the third movie at all, really. Yeah. And that that made me sad. Yeah, she got but the shot. I agree that she's definitely a staple of the franchise and uh it was better for her being in it for sure. Mhm. Uh, something else I want to mention that you had mentioned is the fact that we had a new RoboCop in this movie. Yes. You know, if I'm being honest, I didn't notice a difference. Really? If uh, if you hadn't told me that it wasn't Peter Weller, I probably wouldn't have even noticed. Wow. Now, visually, there wasn't enough of him, like the eyes and the mouth and the nose are different, but he mm-hmm. had so much prosthetic on him that I could see where you might overlook that, but... Audibly, like I was clearly not him, not Peter. Will. Yeah, I mean, the character was played different in the third movie, and that's obvious. Mm. But, you know, if I was watching this without that knowledge, I would think it's just the writing because the way that he's acted fits with the goofiness of the rest of the movie. Yeah. You know, and I didn't notice the voice so much because, you know, he's got that robotic synth processing <clears throat> over the voice audio. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that doesn't stick out to me either, really. Yeah. Like, honest to goodness, if I didn't know, I would not have noticed. Interesting. Interesting. All right. So what is your pick for best actor, sir? So, yeah, same boat as you. I had to think about it for a little bit. It's not an easy choice because, honestly, a lot of the acting isn't that great. Um, But I don't like saying this, but I don't know what else I would say. I wound up going with uh, Paul McDaggett, played by John Castle. Shoot her if you have to, but get her out of here. Yes, sir. Let's go. Come on. I think it's going rather well, don't you, sir? Yes, sir. Okay. He's a... Um, yeah, he he plays a fairly good villain. Like he's got this nonchalantness about him that I think carried well with that character. Um, in a lot of ridiculous moments, he manages to still hold his own. Like he's he's shooting at a invincible pink Cadillac engine, and still managing to stay serious and acting half insane. <laughs> he, uh, you know, he doesn't have the best, but the best parts in the whole movie, but I don't know that anybody does, you know? He, so yeah, he was in the running for my, my choice. He was my second or third choice. Okay. Nancy Allen as Lewis was my pick. And Matt's pick was Paul McDaggett played by John Castle. Most underrated performance. There was only one choice for me with this one, and it was Rip Torn as the CEO. <laughs> We're now looking at a company in transition. Needless to say, this has resulted in the implementation of certain, uh, well, oh, let's call them cutbacks. Ah, but who can put a price tag on a dream? Our esteemed former chairman had a dream. He called it Delta City. Knock it off, Johnson. 
great city of Detroit represents an important precedent, gentlemen. There's only one small problem. It's turning into a war zone! Sir, it's just a small resistance group, and there's no reason to believe they pose a significant threat. Well, I'd consider a deficit of $350 million a significant threat. Wouldn't you, Johnson? Oh, okay. He... <laughs> yeah. It was one of those things, and we do this a lot, like with our underrated performances, it's usually a character that when they come on the scene or on the screen, you you get a little bit more joy or you're happy or entertained. And his his performance was over the top. Like anytime he got on the screen, he was probably yelling. He was being silly. Um, he had a few memorable one liners like uh, you mm-hmm. can kiss my freckled butt and and all that. So I I liked it. He's good at that role. The cantankerous old executive or or that kind of if he's not a pirate, he's like a old grouchy old man. And this mm-hmm. is, that role was perfect for him. So yeah, it's a good choice. You're right. He he does tend to kind of take over the scenes that he's in. Um, and yeah, it's hard for me to not see him in a suit and not think of men in black. Honestly. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> So uh, for my pick, um, I'm going to harken back to what you picked for your best actor. Uh, you you mentioned that Lewis was a, a staple of the series and really kind of the backbone and the anchor, right? Well, for me, I've picked someone for underrated performance that I feel is in a very similar situation. <laughs> uh, this person is in all three movies. Um, and honestly, I, I feel like he's done well in all three of the movies. I enjoy his scenes. I like watching him and I think he's doing good. And uh, honestly, I feel like I could almost give him this for the entire series as opposed to just this movie. But we're just doing this movie. So I'm going to do that. Uh, So my Spice Award for most underrated performance goes um, very, very confidently to uh, Robert Duquis as Sergeant Warren Reed. You can tell the CEO that demolition crews will have total access at 0600 hours tomorrow morning. Hey, we don't do that kind of work. That was a direct order, Sergeant. Driving people out of their homes is no work for a cop. Now, Sergeant, 15 years on the force is quite an investment. Your job, your pension. Maybe instead of worrying about these squatter people, you might think about your own family. I am. I'm thinking I have to go home and face them. Um, I like every scene he's in. I, I like to see him yell. I like to see him, you know deal with the the ridiculousness of the apartment. I like it when he's dramatic. I like it when he's silly. Um, I, I feel like this movie wouldn't be the same without him in that role. And uh, I want to give him props for it. I, uh, I really think he did well. And uh, yeah, he's, he's definitely 100% my winner for this one. Yeah. One of my favorite scenes was when he had had enough and he ends up quitting the force. Like yeah. that had been a long time coming. You could tell throughout the the series that he he did not like how things were run be it through OCP, and he finally got a chance to 
stick it to them. And it was, that was great. Yep. And, you know, along this line, I do want to mention one more, uh, not my winner, but uh, definitely an honorable mention in my uh, opinion. And that is uh, Felton Perry, who played Johnson, another kind of staple character in all three movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we talked about him earlier in the podcast. He He's always done a, a great job in these movies, too. So I don't think he did as good as. Um, sorry, I'm clicking around. I don't think he did as good as uh, Robert DeQuay, but uh, still, he, he's worth mentioning. He did a great job consistently through all three of these movies. Yeah, definitely. So Rip Torn as the CEO for my pick and Matt's pick was Robert DeQuee as the chief. Sergeant Warren Reed. What? That was his character Uh, name. Sergeant Warren Reed. All right. Silliest scene. And here it goes. (laughs) So many. For me, it's got to be the pink Cadillac chase scene i mentioned already that it felt like something straight out of a naked gun movie mm-hmm. he gets in like <laughs> he commandeers this vehicle it's the only one around i guess and he gets in it's got the fuzzy dice it's got the lights it's got the leopard print uh seats and he's chasing mcdaggett around mcdaggett shooting this huge explosive gun at him it's it'll cut it cuts to McDaggett shooting, cuts to the Cadillac, the Cadillac explodes, the next cut, they're going around a corner and the top is off. And then the the doors are off. And then there's there's no uh hood. <laughs> and it gets to the point where he's just it's just a chassis with an engine and Robocop's still driving it, it's still going. It's one of the funny and Robocop's armor's flawless. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no damage to Robocop. Robocop's not hurt at all. It's one of the silliest scenes in the movie. Man, 100 <laughs> percent. That whole scene is so silly. It's fun. <laughs> it's a lot of fun to watch, but it it is just outlandish. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as far as my choice, there's so many. There's so many silly moments to choose from. Right. There's the. The, the backup scene at the beginning of the movie where he blows the top out of the car and launches off of the uh, <laughs> parking garage. There's the pink Cadillac scene, obviously. Um, the elevator scene really got me when he's yes. like, the elevator sticks. <laughs> and then like, you know, you've got this revenge bent murder robot cop ready to take on the world. And he stopped because this elevator is like... but uh for me the the winner has got to be the gun juggling scene Mm -hmm. um this is right after the elevator scene so it's kind of a one-two punch but (laughs) that freaking rehab officer points a gun at, at robocop and he just shoots the gun out of his hand and makes it like dance across the air in this ridiculous like it almost looks like like a crouching tiger, hidden dragon wire work thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> this gun is just flopping around and like there's no possible way that it's getting shot. It, it's just like dangling from a wire and being jerked around <laughs> by some stagehand. And he, he keeps it in the air for like forever. And then he just stops shooting and the gun goes. Yep. And then Robocop just goes, don't. <laughs> 
Uh, <laughs> I, I literally laughed out loud when that happened. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. No damage to the gun. Just. Yeah, that was a great one. It's a, that one's up there with the top. That's got to be in the top three silliest scenes. Oh, my gosh. OK, pink Cadillac scene is my favorite silly scene. Matt's is the gun caught a gun in the air shooting scene. OK, here it is. Final Spice Award. Best Robocop line. I went back and forth between the one where uh, he sees the rats and he says, you know, rats, uh, only a couple or something like that. That's a good one. Uh, but then the other one, and this is the one I picked, was... Uh, hey, you got a light? Sure, man. Allow me, scum. takes his flamethrower in the police department and the guy's smoking the cigarette or whatever and he's like you got a light and he says allow me scum and that was my hmm. my my best line it's a good it's one it's hilarious <laughs> uh, um, for me I think I've got to give it to uh, you can't miss it thank you You may want to call the fire department. The, the scene where Robocop goes into the police department after he's got a warrant out for his arrest. And uh, he asks the sergeant where the rehab staging area is. And the sergeant tells him. And so as he's walking by, he looks at him and he says, you may want to call the fire department. <laughs> ah, when he said that. Like it was silly and but it was also kind of this oh yeah RoboCop's mad moment you know mm -hmm. I couldn't help but smile a little bit when he said that because you don't really see RoboCop kind of cracking jokes like that and he uh, he laid it down for that one I liked it yeah so that those were both in the same area kind of a one two punch mm -hmm. one liners yep <clears throat> all right allow me scum was my pick. <laughs> And uh, you may want to call the fire department. That was Matt's pick. Mm -hmm. Best RoboCop line. All right, last section. Let's get into some Did You Know? So, this movie was filmed in 1991, but was not released until the end of 1993 due to production company Orion going bankrupt. So it actually wasn't F filmed in 93. Orion. Yeah. Too bad seeing Orion go under. Mm -hmm. They have they were a good production company. So uh, here's a fun one for you. The, the company who did most of the computer effects in this movie was a company by the name of PDI. Uh, this company would eventually evolve to become none other than DreamWorks Animation. Wow. Um, according to the director, Fred Deckard, the thing that haunts him to this day about making this film is the screenplay. 
He felt that if he had another writer who had written the script like Frank Miller or his best friend, Shane Black, who did, who has done a lot of movies like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and I think he did the one of the Lethal Weapons, uh, he would have had a different perspective and strengthened the roles of the actors in the films. Which apparently Shane Black plays Donnelly in this film. Yeah, I just and, I happened uh, to see that and I didn't catch that. To uh, to add on to that, uh, Shane Black was um, at one time Fred Decker's roommates. They lived together for a while. The RoboCop suit worn in the movie was originally built for RoboCop 2. Since Robert Burke had a longer neck and larger head than Peter Weller, he complained that wearing it was painful after a short time. So uh, Jeff Garland, who was the uh, the guy who ran the donut diner during that scene, claims that during the shooting of that scene, he ate 36 donuts. My God. That's a lot of donuts. I don't know if we can confirm that to be true or not, <laughs> but that's what he says. They, so I didn't notice this, but apparently it's true. The look of RoboCop in this film is more like the original RoboCop uh, because Fred Decker hated the way the character looked in RoboCop 2. And I think that makes sense. RoboCop 2's armor was a lot more shiny and uh, it, was, it was a little bit different. So you mentioned that the film was originally scheduled uh, and delayed, but uh, was wound up being released in 1993, right? Mm-hmm. It was supposed to be released in the summer of 1993, but since it was a essentially kind of a low budget action film, they decided to push it back to fall. Do you know why they did that? Mm-mm. Because summer of 1993 was the year that Jurassic Park premiered. Uh, yeah. So they pushed it to the fall so that they didn't have to compete with Jurassic Park. That was at least a good move. We hinted at this before, but this is the first RoboCop film to be rated PG-13. Uh, they wanted to do that so that uh, they could appeal to a younger demographic, hopefully make more money. And I don't think it worked out. <laughs> so Nancy Allen, she only agreed to be in this movie if the writers agreed to kill her character off in the first half of the movie. And so that's why that happened, because it was the only way that she would be in it. All right. That's going to be our episode. You can join us in two weeks when we will be reviewing the 1992 Western film Unforgiven, starring the legendary Clint Eastwood. I'm excited for that. Yeah. I always love a good Western. We would love it if you would subscribe to the Cinema Men podcast on your podcast player of choice and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also head on over to cinemamenpodcast.com to check out new and old episodes. We always love to hear from listeners. So if you have a suggestion or just want to give us your take on a movie, feel free to email us at feedback at cinemamenpodcast.com or check us out on Twitter at twitter.com slash cinemamenpod. Thanks for listening. <laughs>